This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Line up, you fucking nerds. Who wants a shot at the champ? Whoa. What's going on, folks? My Take Radio episode 105 for Thursday, September 1st, 2011. The intro music you just heard was from the Scott Pilgrim official score soundtrack. You can get that probably at Amazon.com or any of your local retailers. A um, couple of things that happened over the last few days. I am actually running a brand new setup, so... Hopefully everything will run nice and smoothly this evening. I got to throw a shout out to Mike, which is from Media Podcast on Twitter for helping me out to set this up. I feel that we're running a lot clearer and a lot louder, which is always good. And hopefully we will not have any of those issues that have plagued the show in previous broadcasts, primarily uh, Skype echoes, etc., etc. So I am testing a new setup. So if we do have any sort of hiccups... We're in a feeling out process right now, so I figured I'd let you guys know that before we got into anything. So with that, let's talk some housekeeping. Of course, our Facebook fan page, we are almost at 1,500 fans. I think we're at 1,412 or 1,413, so I want to take a moment and welcome all our new fans. Definitely stick around on the fan page. There's a lot of great stuff coming to Facebook fans as well as to fans of, for fans of the show some giveaways and some stuff that we're working on so that's going to be coming out there lastly also with regards to Facebook we're going to do a contest probably I want to say closer to Comic Con in October with some giveaways and maybe a couple of things that we're going to get so that's going to be for people on the Facebook fan page and we're also going to do something for our Twitter followers as well since we're almost at a thousand fans, I mean a thousand followers on Twitter, so great headway. Like I said, I want to welcome all the new fans, all the new followers for supporting MTR, and we all would like to say thanks. Quick shout out to our content partners at MMA Valor and our event partners at Unveil NYC, of course. And lastly, to wrap up the housekeeping, you can now get MTR in a couple of different avenues besides getting it on our app available in the Android and iTunes stores. You can also find it in the Amazon Marketplace, and you can also listen to MTR via the Stitcher app, which you can download for free. You don't have to put the MP3s on your phones or mobile devices. You can actually stream the show directly via Stitcher, which is great, especially because Stitcher is compatible with an iPhone, Android phones, even WebOS phones, and for those of you still in the past, Blackberries as well. You can get that by heading over to Stitcher.com, or you can also look for Stitcher on the corresponding stores that go with each of those platforms. With Get Glue, we got 63 check-ins. We got a lot of fans checking in with Get Glue. If you are a Get Glue user, you can check in via the site. 
MyTakeRadio.com. You can also check in via the fan page as well. I noticed that they have not fixed the check-in mechanism to put us under music. I really wish you were watching My Take Radio, but until we get that figured out, you know, use the check-in feature that way. T-shirts are going to be live probably this weekend. Just the two designs that you guys already know, the radio with uh, the various things we cover and also the Tribal MTR will probably go live this weekend. We also got some real exciting designs coming up for an event that we'll be doing in October. I will announce that event probably at the end of the month once I have everything squared away. But I guarantee you that if you are a fighting game fan, an MMA game fan, you'll want to be involved in this because it'll be for a good cause. So be on the lookout for that announcement at the end of the month. Tonight's guest is going to be Cameron Conaway. He is the author of the Caged book that should be coming out towards the end of the month. Actually, the full title is going to be Caged Memoirs of a Cage Fighting Poet. He's going to be calling in at around 11.30 from Thailand. So I want to make sure that we have no hiccups because that's going to be a very uh, a very lengthy, long-distance call. But you can be on the lookout for his book, and it'll be coming out at some time, probably within the next couple of weeks. Most likely you can look for it on Amazon and a couple of the other places where you get books nowadays. I mean... I used to get them myself at Borders. Obviously, Borders closed down. I don't know how long Barnes & Noble will be around, but worst case, I'm sure you can get it on Amazon. And if you want any further information, you can head over to his site, CameronConaway.com. He'll be joining us probably around 11, 11.30 to discuss his book. We're going to talk some MMA and a couple of other things as well. So that should be around 11.30. We got a new article from Slick recapping the last episode of thundercats i recommend you check it out i do have to admit that the thundercats series has enamored itself with me as opposed to the voltron series i do like the voltron series as well but not on the same level that i like the thundercats series thundercats was uh substantially better in the coming weeks it's in well it's going to get substantially better i should say but it's been great thus far i've seen some cool pictures with designs for some of the characters we all know and love including jackal man hopefully i'll be able to get that picture and post it on the fan page because originally for some reason it was blocked and you could not copy and paste it so once i get that settled we'll throw it uh we'll throw it on the fan page maybe i'll even throw it on the site too speaking of the site we ha actually announced the advertising platform if you're interested in advertising on my take radio either with 30 second spots uh, segment sponsorships or website advertising you can drop me an email at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com and we'll probably set up a separate email account for people that are interested in advertising my take radio reaches over 25,000 people um, with totals from stitcher blog talk radio and itunes in addition to that we have all our archived episodes not to mention Zoom market, Zoom marketplace presence. So we're everywhere to accommodate anybody's advertising needs. So just hit us up, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com to set that up. And uh, new writers. We've been looking for new writers. If you share similar ideologies like we do and you want to write for MTR, please note it is not a paid gig. But if you're looking to build up your writing cred 
deal with, with a cool team of people that, you know, we, we run a pretty a pretty smooth ship here. So, again, drop me a line, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. Whether it's primarily I'm looking for some MMA and wrestling correspondence. Um, it could be anything from original content to show recaps. We might even go into some stuff on the tech side as well if you're in, if you're a tech writer. So don't hesitate. Send me a little writing sample. Tell me a little bit about yourself, and maybe we can toss you in there and have you writing on a regular basis. Our two app-exclusive segments, MTR Behind and Beyond the Mic, we'll be seeing some enhancements in the coming weeks. A couple of things are going to be changed with regards to format. I'm going to try and do an alternating episode per week starting probably in October. So you'll get one MTR behind the mic and one MTR beyond the mic every other week with different people. So be on the lookout for that. And that's going to be exclusive to my Take Radio app owners. So be on the lookout for that in October. All right. Tonight's topics, we're going to talk UFC 134. We're going to talk a, a decent amount of gaming news this week, considering that there isn't much going on. We got reboots out the ass this week. They're rebooting everything and anything because Hollywood has nothing else to do. We do have some what-the-fuck movie news as well. But the big thing I wanted to talk about this week in this week's opening monologue, which makes its return, is an article that was published on Gizmodo. And it got a, a, a lot of press this week, primarily because of the way it was written. Um, I'm not going to go too much into the article itself, but I'll just give you guys the main premise. Basically, a writer on Gizmodo named Alyssa uh, Bereznak went on a date with a guy that she met via the dating website OKCupid.com. Now, as, as you can see, nothing wrong with that. Thousands of people log on to these sites daily to look for a significant other or just somebody that shares similar interests. No problem there. She proceeded to write an article about her experience, and she really spoke poorly about the guy that she met, not because, you know, maybe his breath stank, or he was a serial killer, or he didn't bathe, or he had shitty shoes. She wrote the article and kind of shit on the guy because he was a world champion Magic the Gathering player, which, you know, growing up in the 90s, Magic the Gathering was huge. I remember seeing it played in my lunchroom, seeing it played on the bus. I remember when I worked in a comic book store when I was 17, we'd have magic tournaments. So I remember the, the huge phenomenon that was there. This particular guy, though, is legendary to the point where I believe he has his own magic card. That's how insane it is. But whatever the case may be, she Googled the guy. His name is John Finkel. And he, he is a legend. So they ended up going on one date. And then on the second date, she asked a couple of questions about his interest, which, you know, that, that's part of the small talk. But she went on to ask, you know, does he still play? And he said yes. So she noted that it was strike one. When she asked him how often he played, he said, I'm preparing for a tournament this weekend. She proceeded to write that that was strike two. She asked him about who did he hang out with, and he said that he's met all his best friends through magic, that being strike three. She proceeded to add that she smiled, nodded, and listened, but she felt a little bad that she didn't know shit about the game. And um, 
she, I, I mean, she did. It wasn't totally disparaging, but the way she described it, she made it seem like his interest was a complete negative. And my issue with that isn't the fact that she went on the date, the guy plays magic. I don't give a shit. I really don't. My, my gripe with this particular article is that this lady went on this date and put this guy's personal business out there. And regardless of the fact that the guy's a legend, has his own Wikipedia page, and all this stuff, what if for argument's sake, this would have affected him negatively? What if the guy would have been ridiculed and embarrassed about this particular hobby? What if he wanted to keep that to himself? It's, it's really crazy that you can just go and write a post about this and put somebody's life out there in the open. And that was my big gripe. A lot of people really gave her a beating via the comments. But I'll be 100% honest. We all go out on dates. We all meet, uh, you know, men and women that have really weird fucking habits. We all do. You know, I, I collect comic books. I collected action figures for a while. I collect statues. I play video games. Not, that's not for everybody. It's, just, it's the way it is. It's not for everybody. But I don't go and put somebody's personal business out there just because I didn't like it. And that's what I found fucked up about it. And I actually sent an email to Alyssa because I, I would like to talk to her and ask her what was the rationale for publishing this and putting this guy's story out there. The funny thing is that, you know, John Finkel got a lot of emails and a lot of traffic about it. He actually took it really well. He took it in stride. But the, the Internet can be a really vicious place. And if he wasn't a guy that, that was at the stage that he's in, he might have taken it a little differently. He may have been embarrassed. I just found it fucked up and in poor taste. I also found it fucked up that Gizmodo would publish this considering that they are a tech blog and this has absolutely nothing to do with tech. What, because the chick wrote for the site? That doesn't mean shit. But unfortunately, this is, the, this is the type of world that we live in, that you can't even have a certain interest without somebody finding a way to spin that into a negative. So I'm a little bummed with Gizmodo. I'm also bummed that this chick would put this guy's information out there. I've invited her to come on the show. I'm not going to attack her or say that she was uh, an uppity bitch because everybody has certain criteria. I know people that their preference is to only dating white girls. I'm not going to name any names, but they're like, I only like dating white girls. They're guys, there's African-Americans that don't date black girls. <laughs> this is the world we live in, but they don't go broadcasting that shit. But that's, uh, I wanted to just mention that to you guys because I found it really fucked up and it's made its way into a lot of places including Facebook and on Twitter, it was debated heavily to the point where the um, Alyssa Bereznak had a hashtag made up. I think it was not good enough for Alyssa, which is um, very amusing. All right, let's get into some MMA because there's a lot of stuff going on, and I definitely want to talk about UFC 134. <laughs> All right, 
I'm actually going to use this intro for the MMA segment for the foreseeable future, especially um, up well at least up until the UFC debuts on Fox, because they're probably they're probably going to retire that intro and come up with something brand new and fresh. But I'm going to try and keep it alive as best as possible until a better intro for MMA comes along. I just figured I'd share that with you guys because some people asked me why I like to use the Ultimate Fighter intro and I like to use it because it sounds really clear when I play it back. Sometimes, though, the UFC pay-per-view intro sounds a little better. It depends on what mood Blog Talk Radio is in that particular week. I'm not going to go through the prelims of UFC 134 only because that would drag things out and our guest is probably going to be calling in soon. So I'm just going to go into the pay-per-view portion of the card the first match was the light heavyweight bout between Luis Kane and Stanislav Nedkov. Luis Kane, home field advantage. I actually had him picked over Stanislav Nedkov. But the funny thing was that Stanislav played the role of spoiler and proceeded to take it to Luis Kane. Uh, Nedkov actually got dropped but bounced back up and just took it to Kane. He just murdered him. He nailed him right in the nose, and Kane crumpled, and he ended up losing via strikes. So, TKO victory for Stanislav Nedkov at 4 minutes and 13 seconds in round 1. Next up, we had uh, Antonio Noguera and Brendan Schaub, who, who's been on MTR before. Now, I, I make no, no fact, well, I'm not denying the fact that I'm a huge pride mark. Pride Fighting Championships is one of the things that got me into MMA. I've seen so many great fights there with Fedor, guys like Kevin Randleman, Mirko Krokop, uh, the Nagara brothers, Shogun. I, I can go uh, Hendo, Vandalay, of course. I can go down a list of so many great fighters to come out of Pride. And in a way, even though I like Brendan Schaub, and regardless of whether he was a guest on the show... He is a he, he's a really cool guy. He he's a good ambassador for the sport, but I had to pull for for the pride guys in this particular card only because, especially with Noguera, because the, he, that's a guy that he's a he's a legend in this sport, and of course he lost a couple of fights, and the fickle MMA fans automatically proceed to write him off. So I was really hoping for a great performance from him. And sure as shit, he delivered. Um, they took center stage in the middle of the cage and traded a little bit, at which point Brendan Schaub used his size to press him against the fence. But Nog pressed forward and was really looking to put it away early. Uh, Schaub, though, hit him with a solid uppercut and a couple of shots that actually shook up Nog. And I was, I, like I said, I was really torn for this fight. But at one point, Schaub dropped the guard. And um, sure as shit, Boom, Noguera catches him. Lights out. And, of course, Brazil goes apeshit. Uh, the backstage segment I saw with um, some of those guys celebrating the victories of some of these fighters was insane. I'm really happy that Nog won. Schaub looked good in the fight, but Noguera had home field advantage. Anybody that was betting against the Brazilians, I, you guys are, were going to be disappointed because they were just really stellar performances. The next fight was a lightweight fight with Edson Barboza and Ross Pearson. Ross Pearson, of course, was from The Ultimate Fighter. I actually pulled for him 
also a little bit just because I like Ross Pearson. He, he presents himself really well. He's exciting to watch. But Barboza wasn't hap- having it. He ended up taking the fight via split decision. So Brazilians already uh, to up 2-1 and one against everybody else. Shogun and Forrest Griffin, their return match. I expected this to be a fucking war. Just because uh, Forrest Griffin likes to go in there and just trade, stand and bang. Shogun looking for redemption, looking to become, not to become relevant, I would say, but just to shake off some of those performances that he's had. And holy shit, he came out there and it was game over. Shogun ended up taking the fight via KO at a minute and 53 seconds. Uh, it It was madness. The middleweight championship was your main event with Anderson Silva versus Yushin Okami. I'm going to be 100% honest in telling you guys that I had picked Anderson Silva without even considering any of Okami's strengths. Just because Anderson Silva is fucking Anderson Silva. He comes out, he clowns you, then he kills you. It's easy as that. And in round one, he, he... there was a bit of a feeling out process. Okami definitely tried to use his size, get in some dirty boxing, but Anderson Silva made sure to use a lot of elbows and knees in the clinch. Um, it was really good. Okami at one point went for a single leg, but had to let it go. Anderson wasn't falling for that shit. Um, worst part about it is that to close out the round, Anderson Silva landed a head kick, which everybody was like, holy shit. I, was, I thought it was lights out there. In the second, though, Anderson Silva got his rhythm going. He was juking and jiving, and he came in there, and boom, he just caught him. After that, Anderson Silva clubbed him like a baby seal, and that was a wrap. Anderson Silva by TKO strikes at 2 minutes and 4 seconds in the second round. Very impressed with Anderson Silva. Now, the crazy thing is that what happens now? Everybody's expecting an Anderson Silva-George St. Pierre super fight. Wow, that would be awesome to see. I really don't want to see that because either Anderson Silva stays at you know 185 and GSP goes up, and if GSP loses, he's not accomplishing shit with that fight. If Anderson Silva wins, he's really not gaining anything either. He beat a guy that fights at a, at a lighter at a lighter weight class. While everybody would love to see it, I honestly would like to see Anderson Silva go up to 205 and try and challenge up there. Maybe um, a match, a fight with Shogun would be a great uh, great thing at 205. Also, the possibility of a fight with a guy like Tito Ortiz. I think he should get one or two more fights and challenge John Jones. Not for nothing, Anderson Silva and Rampage would be an epic fight as well, or Anderson Silva and Rashad Evans. And, of course, Anderson Silva and John Jones would be the fight that everybody would go cra- would go crazy for. That's, that's the fight I want to see. Don't get me wrong, GSP is is GSP, but he hasn't exactly been going out there and giving us exciting fights. So uh, against a guy like Anderson Silva, we're just going to see a lot of that too. We're going to see either smother and cover or Anderson Silva showboating and just trying to put it o- put it away quickly. And people are going to pay 60 bucks expecting a war, and one of these guys is going to try and get the quick victory, and we're going to feel annoyed and robbed. So for that, I'd like to see Anderson Silva fight at 205, vacate the belt, because what's he going to do, fight Chael Sonnen again? I mean, don't get me wrong, that would be a great fight, but if he beats Chael, it'll just reinforce the fact that he's great. If Chael beats him, Anderson Silva can just go up to 205. So there's there's no real damage being done if either way if that fight goes down, but Anderson Silva would be a great fit at 205, period. 
We'll see what happens in the coming weeks. Of course, Dana White is going to be making a huge announcement tomorrow at 1 o'clock. And we're going to find out what the main event is going to be for the UFC on Fox. I've heard different things. I've heard Alistair Overeem and Brock Lesnar. I've heard Chael Sonnen and Anderson Silva. I All kinds of shit. I've heard all kinds of crazy, crazy things on Twitter today. But not for nothing, if they do sign somebody like Alistair Overeem and they have him fight Brock Lesnar, I honestly don't think Brock is even ready to fight at this point. But you can probably get somebody in there. Maybe do Alistair Overeem and Shane Carwin. That would be an awesome match at heavyweight. Or maybe Overeem and Frank Mir. That'll get that'll get some people definitely to tune in on, on the Fox side of things. Overall, we can't sit there and speculate until tomorrow when Dana White makes his announcement. Uh, Slick just informed me that Cameron is on the line. I'm going to bring him in right now. Hey, Cameron, what's going on? Rich, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? How are things in Thailand? They are going very well. Thai people are, are wonderful people for the most part, so um, it's very easy to fit in here. Yeah, I know that you're over there in Thailand for What's Your Fight, correct? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm sponsored by whatsyourfight.com and um I'm kind of going to different Muay Thai gyms and and training and shooting some footage. How's the experience been so far? I mean, in terms of uh, of just the training in in general. Yeah, it's it's uh I mean, we also I'm here with my fiance too. We came here for, you know, a, a sort of cultural experience. Um but you know, the the uh, sponsorship from What's Your Fight is, was a great added bonus because I, I wanted to come here to train Muay Thai since I was a little kid. Um, but the training has been, it's, it's been interesting. I've had some, some, some odd experiences that I don't think would happen at, at gyms in America. Um, for instance, you know, at, my, at the camp that I go to, they brought in a guest trainer. And so everybody was like, cool, you know, we, we have a new trainer in here and so he was holding the pads for me and all of a sudden he just dropped the pads and just started full on. It just turned into a, a professional Muay Thai bout where he was landing elbows to the top of my head and it ended up turning into an actual fight. And I'm, I'm so glad I trained with Henzo Gracie and I could take him down and, and ground and pound, but it was insane. It went from just a nice, you know, warm up training session to like an all out fight. And afterwards, once I beat this guy, he just, he was so thrilled. He had this huge smile on his face. And I was just like, oh, yeah, this, this is not something that would happen in America. That was crazy. Wow. So you had a nice bit of, a nice little unsanctioned fight there for, uh, as a training session. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I came here to train. I had the idea of fighting in the back of my mind, but, um, when a fight just sort of erupted out of nowhere, it was it was really weird. I mean, it was like I was trying to protect myself, and the way I did that was through MMA techniques. You know, <laughs> I wasn't about to exchange elbows with a, a champion Thai fighter. You know, how have you adapted with regards to the the language barrier? Um, I have enough of a of a grasp of the language, I guess, very very basic that I can I can pick up words here and there and, and kind of get by. Um, my fiance has been taking language classes, so she can hop in a taxi or, or get on a motorbike and talk to the people, you know, basically in, in fluent Thai, which is amazing. That's, um, that's cool. But the, the Thai people here, they work so damn hard to pick up English also. So I can kind of, 
speak a little Tiglish, and they they usually get what I'm trying to say. <laughs> nice. That that's a, that's, a, that's a nice made up language that we're gonna start teaching Tiglish. <laughs> well, speaking of, you know, I was listening to what you said about Magic the Gathering. Um, I had not heard of that story, but it doesn't surprise me. There's such like a love hate relationship with Magic. I mean, people seriously, seriously legitimately hate other people who play that game it's absurd <laughs> this is true i mean there were times when i when i worked in a comic store that they'd be playing the tournaments in the back and people be like oh what the hell are they doing all these guys again so <laughs> I, I understand the bias i think i think that just the overall presentation of the article and you know even going a little bit off topic with right. that i just felt that going in that direction when you emphasize that you're a tech blog read by quote-unquote geeks and you're basically shitting on something that's a, a geeky interest isn't exactly what the message you want to convey not only that but it was it wasn't relevant to the site in the least bit what because that you went to a site on the yeah. internet you know that that had no bearing and like i said that could have damaged that person um substantially to the point where you know i've seen people that commit suicide for shit like that so exactly yeah i mean it's uh you know, we were at a we were at a mall here in Bangkok, I guess, a month ago, and we went to like the seventh floor. I mean, the Bangkok is called Legoland because it's just stacked up like Legos. Like the you'll have a, a bowling a bowling center, a movie center, and an ice rink all at the top floor of a mall here. And um, we were walking around, and we came to a Magic the Gathering training center. Holy <laughs> shit! And it was awesome. Like they had it was like a legit serious training center where like people go in just like an MMA camp and and they get their training on um they had like motivational posters on the walls and uh yeah but I mean I think what you said about the Gizmodo publishing this um it just kind of shows where the direction of the publishing industry now anything that is going to generate buzz even if it doesn't fit that that particular place's brand they're likely going to run with it you know it's it's sort of sad but true well, w with regards to that, I know that you were, you know, we were going to discuss your book, and um, I also have been reading your site for the for the last couple of weeks, not only for prep, but just to see some of the things you do, and and you actually go into a lot of other things besides, you know, training in Thailand and your book. You you talk about the other projects you're looking at, other services you're looking at. What what made you want to? use your site in that manner instead of going towards the, you know, promoting your involvement in the sport. I know that you, you've done a lot of teaching as well. So did you figure that you wanted to make it more of a personal site and share some of your personal views on there? Was that something that just gradually started developing? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think it would be one of those things where it almost chose me. Um, you know, as, as a writer, I, I really don't feel comfortable writing about anything unless I'm very passionate about it. Um, so if something catches my eye, like I, I recently posted a, a review of Amnesty International. They had a 50th anniversary poster um, exhibit, and you know they I just they had some amazing posters. Muhammad Ali like standing over Sonny Liston, and and just they're using those sort of images as a way to create peace in the world. And I was like, man, that's that's freaking awesome, you know, and. So that goes to the site, and, and it just, it, I think it ended up turning into a way where I could express things that I was passionate about and not have to wait the three or four months that it often takes for publishers of magazines or whoever else to get back to you. Um, 
And I, I guess along the way, it sort of helped me generate a following where a lot of people are, are sort of aligned with my beliefs. Um, but that's a really good question. I, I'll have to actually think about that a little more. Yeah, I read, I read your article about vitamin D, which actually was, was very interesting for a lot of reasons. One of, um, one of our writers, Josh, was, was telling me about the benefits of vitamin D for, for, for a couple of things. And I mean, I, I train in the gym and I do that, but I, in reading the article, it was just like, oh, that's a, that's a good way of breaking it down because usually they tell you, oh, you know, you got to get vitamin D from sunlight and nine, nine times out of 10, you may end up being more deficient than you think you are. So seeing that in there, especially under something like MMA nutrition was, was really interesting. And I was shocked that it, it, it was a total departure from some of the other stuff I saw on your site. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I think it comes down to how can I best, how can I best tell people? What, what can I offer people in a way that I, I feel like is positively benefiting the world? And honestly, I feel so, so strong about vitamin D with all the research that I've done that I feel like it's, it's, you're almost putting the country more in debt by not taking vitamin D. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, that's, a, that's sort of a huge statement, but it's, um, it's tied into depression and different sort of cancers and, you know, at this point, it's not run by a huge pharmaceutical company. So you can go to Walmart and get a bottle that'll last you six months for five bucks. Um, so I think it's one of those rare things right now where it's a, it's a small investment that could, you know, that could really add some uh, quality to your life, I guess. Yeah, I was, I was, I now now I pop into your site because I have it in my RSS, and I'm like, all right, let's see what pops up today. <laughs> so nice. you know, I, I I actually I actually like seeing that, but. The, the, the big thing that we wanted to discuss was your upcoming book, uh, Caged, Memoirs of a Cage-Fighting Poet, which should be coming out this month as we discuss. Now, give me a little bit of background about the book and you know what, what motivated you to write this, because I know you've written some poetry books primarily. Yeah, so uh, this, I mean, the journey of this book, I, I guess, basically began when I was 12 or 13. Um, my, my parents went through a pretty ugly divorce and I had a falling out with my father. Um, I haven't talked with my father since actually. Um, but at that age, you know, I was looking for a father figure. I didn't know it at the time. And so I was just wandering through, um, uh, a movie rental place and, you know, I was approaching my teenage years. I wanted to see like, you know, what's this porn section all about? So started, started moseying on back towards the porn section and I saw a UFC video with Ken Shamrock on the front. And I don't know what it was about that video, but, you know, it had, he was all bloody and beat up, but he was like ready to go. He had like had his hands up, ready to, ready to fight. Um, and it was against Oleg Taktorov. Um, so I was like, you know, screw porn. I, what's this? <laughs> I need to see what this is about. Uh, and so I had to call home for permission because, uh, at that, at that time you had to be 18 or older to, to get the UFC. I don't know what the rules are now, but, um, you know, Ma, I said, Mom, uh, it's a video with martial artists fighting each other. Could I get it? And, you know, there was some hesitancy in her voice, but I don't, I don't think she had any idea what I was really talking about. And she said, sure, you know, and brought it home. Um, and I actually remember watching it so much, the, the subtleties of techniques, the way Ken carried himself, just so respectful and professional um, that I ended up having to put a Band-Aid on my thumb from using the remote, like, rewinding, fast-forwarding over and over again, you know, because it was VHS back then. Um, 
And ever since then, you know, I've had that interest in MMA, and, and uh, I'm from a very small town, so I, we didn't have an MMA place. Um, so I, I pursued boxing and started getting more confident as, a, you know, as I was maturing, and um, boxing really improved my confidence, and it kept going, but I, I kept wanting Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I kept wanting these grappling arts that I, that I saw Ken using, and that led to Henzo Gracie, and, and, you know, in a lot of ways, these, these different men that I met throughout this journey never actually met Ken, but the qualities of him sort of filled the gap that I needed, I think, at that point for a male role model. Same thing with Henzo Gracie. I saw qualities in him that I admired. Um, at that point, I was enrolled in college. I guess I would be 19 or so at this point, and, um, you know, I needed to take an elective class, and I was sort of thinking, you know, what the hell do I need to take? My schedule's packed. Um, so I came to a poetry class and I was like, you know, it seems to me like when Hicks and Gracie says something or like Bruce Lee says something, it, it isn't that poetry, you know, that, that sounds pretty damn awesome. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to give this, this poetry class a shot. And, um, I did and just completely changed the way I saw everything in my life, made me see perspectives that I never saw and I pursued it. So at the same time I was, I was fighting professional MMA bouts. Um, you know, as soon as I would leave training at Henzo's, I would open up a poetry book and start studying there. It was, it wasn't something that I like, uh, purposely tried to do to create this warrior poet thing. It just, it really just happened. Um, so, so the book kind of grew out of those experiences. Nice. I, it's crazy that you can, you, you're the way you portrayed the book is two polar opposites meeting in the middle. Because you know you don't when you think of a fighter you don't think of a poet say and you know vice versa so seeing seeing those two interests converge into into a, into a memoir like this is something that's that's pretty cool and I you know I looked through some of the stuff you had sent me and it's it's crazy just mixing that together it's almost like like Tai Chi in a way you know you have a two two styles of Tai Chi yeah yeah it's um. I think that's part of the reason it's been getting some good feedback so far. Um, you know, some of the negative stuff that I've received is, is basically about how I, I force these two things together, but really in my mind, they're so connected. Um, and there's a scene in the book where I, I train at the London shoot fighter Academy and you know, it was my, it was my first time there. So the instructors introduced me to everybody in the class and he said, you know, fighting goes well beyond, this is like part of his introduction. He was like, fighting goes well beyond actually fighting here on the mats. In fact, this is really, in the grand scheme of things, a small form of fighting. He said, look to the person to the left and right, and he's like, you know, introduce yourself. Talk about some interests that you have. Breaking down that barrier, breaking down the ignorance that you have about certain situations, that's fighting too. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, because, I mean, in a, in a lot of ways, that's what poetry is. It's breaking down that you know, there's, there's barriers, there's boundaries, gaining new perspectives, seeing things in fresh new ways. So in, in that sense, poetry is a form of fighting. Um, and in that sense, that's kind of where the Amnesty International uh, passion that I have came from for the recent article I just did, because here they are using images to fight war, and it's a very poetic, peaceful images. Um, so, I mean, there's a, there's a natural fusion there. And my, my goal was, you know, look, I, I haven't seen anybody else show this fusion very clearly if at all and i feel uniquely suited to do so and i feel like it can help a lot of people if i do it so i went for it 
Well, the, the the crazy thing is that for people, that, you know, for your detractors to sit there and say that you forced this together in in looking at, at your background, you know, and the the level of education you have, it, it looked like your level of education helped bring those two things together because you can go and study and learn how to fight, but in terms of putting words together in, in a way that touches people on, you know, on an emotional level... That's not something that can be taught. That's something that you have to learn on your own. So I, I don't understand how your detractors sat there and said that you forced those two interests together to create this book. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something I've kind of been struggling with, too. Um, you know, I mean, even in grad school workshops, I had some amazing mentors. I was so lucky. Award-winning writers, professors, and you know, they always told me, like, this, this writing game's going to be really hard, Cameron. You're going to, because you, you put yourself out there and people are going to smash you. And when that time comes, you'll be ready for it. And, you know, I always just took that warrior mindset, like, oh, I'll be ready for it. I'll be ready for it. But there was a lot of, there was a lot of lawsuit threat drama from a, from a stepmother surrounding this book. And, um, you know, I, I, I did my best to just sort of ignore it and, and just take it in stride, but I'll be honest, I mean, it, it, it definitely cut me a little bit, you know, and uh, especially considering I went to school to study the craft of writing. I've, I've been in school for six years to study this art, and um, that people think I'm naive enough to smash things together. It, you know, it's like, how do I prove to you that that's not the case? But uh, just, you know, I have the book. I have the book now. It'll be released in a week or two, and so I'm I'm hoping that can do the talking. Well, how did you, in regards to the lawsuit, how did how did somebody put together a lawsuit about this book? If you if you don't, you know, if you don't mind me asking. Sure. Yeah. So, um, Ken Shamrock's book, Inside the Lion's Den. I don't know if you had a chance to read that. Um, I've read many years ago. Yeah, I've read the first. Of it. Yeah. Yeah, it was a uh, it was one of the first MMA books really out in the market, um, and it was his memoir and it told his story how he bounced around from foster home to foster home. And um, I actually carried that book around with me in high school because I was really struggling, and um, that book really inspired me. And it, and it was published by Tuttle Publishing, which is uh, a crazy renowned martial arts publisher. They're so respected. So as this book came together, and I finished grad school, and I felt like it was polished enough to possibly send to a publisher. I sent it to many other people, but I also sent it to Tuttle. Um, and they accepted it. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, here, here is like the dream, my dream publisher. They accepted this book that, you know, the book that they, they came out with, with Ken Shamrock years ago is, is, you know, I mean, God, maybe it's why I'm a writer. Maybe it's why I'm a fighter. Maybe it's why I had the confidence to pursue anything. Um, it was just one of those things so meant to be. And, um, about a year into my relationship with Tuttle, um, where we, you know, talked about everything from the text to developing the cover photo for the book, uh, right when they released it for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the websites, um, I received a message from them that said, Hey Cameron, you know, we know you haven't talked to your stepmother since you were 12, um, but she is saying that any abuse that you write about at the hands of your father in the book um, is actually a fairy tale. Oh, and 
and she said she's going to be relentless in her pursuit against this. And so they said, you know, it's, it's sort of absurd given your reputation that she even thinks she has a chance of winning and she might not even be able to find a lawyer to take you on, but we're going to have to file, we're, we're going to have to find a lawyer to fend her off. And it got to the point where, um, you know, I guess they felt she was serious enough that it was going to cost them over $10,000 to defend her off. Um, even though they really didn't think she had a chance at winning anything, they still had to, you know, they still had to fight her off somehow. And, and they had to do that through lawyers, which are very expensive, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, they just had to break the news like Cameron. We had this plan to be our featured book, which means we had a marketing team set up for you. We had, you know, this book was going to do very, very well, but we're going to have to completely cancel the entire contract because just in this economy right now, we can't take that kind of risk. Wow. And, um, it, I mean, it was, it was truly, truly crushing. It, it was like a five year dream came to an end in like five minutes. Um, and you know, and they said you can have the rights to the cover picture and everything, but, but you have no marketing team anymore. Uh, and you don't have any affiliation with us anymore. And we, we think your writing is going to win awards in the future. We, we really do. Um, and we hope to get involved with you in the future, but we, we just can't do it right now. <laughs> and man, uh, at that point I was so, I was very broken. I don't have any, I don't have any problems admitting that. I, I was on cloud nine, um, with, with Tuttle and just that they accepted me that I was, a, I was a very broken man. Um, and a couple months later, they actually sent me the email that she sent. And along with the stuff where she says, you know, that any abuse I suffered is a fairy tale or that I was brainwashed into believing that this stuff happened. Um, she also says that because Tuttle Publishing um, publishes martial arts books and publishes a lot of martial arts books throughout Asia, that they have a strong Asian base, that it wouldn't be good for their uh, business, I guess you could say, to publish me because she said my mother is racist against Chinese Americans oh, and therefore man. she, therefore, yeah. So therefore she insinuated I am racist against Chinese Americans and the insinuation continued. How could you possibly publish a book by somebody racist against Chinese Americans? Holy cow. <laughs> so there's a lot of issues around this book, but, uh, it just ended up going to every other publisher, even, even publishing companies who, you know, I had a really good working relationship with already, and they said, Cameron, dude, we want this book bad, but there's too much baggage with it. We just can't do it right now. The, the economy sucks. We can't do it. So, um, you know, here I am. I, I'm going in alone, and uh, I'm so damn grateful that I have a chance to, to voice this story. This is the first time I've really told these details um, in a, to a public audience, but I'm so thankful that you've given me this platform to, to share a little bit. Well, you know, first off, I think that she was she was she looking for a payday or was she looking just to stop the release of the book? You know, a lot of people have asked me that, and I think, well, if she was looking for a payday, at least wait for me to make some money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I am uh, I'm fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt right now. Just if you're going to wait for a payday, just give me a couple years. Um, I think more likely it's fear. It, she's scared of, of a possible, you know, possible damage to her reputation or my dad's reputation. Um, which I, I completely, I completely understand. Um, but she also, she also, you know, insinuated that I'm writing this book out of revenge 
and it, you know it's sort of an amateur attempt to get revenge and um, as far as those things you know I, I think that's where my education comes into play if this truly was a, a sloppy amateur revenge book I could have I really could have put it together in a month um, but any story I share about the ways that my dad physically or mentally abused me aren't to get back at him aren't written in malice they are because they were necessary for the crafting of the story in order to inspire other people and I think that's a it, it can be a fine line for a lot of people but for those in the writing industry and for those who really study the craft of writing including the people who have blurbed my book I have I have Dinty Moore blurbed my book and he's considered one of the best essayists in the country um, these people wouldn't have come out to support me if it was a if it was kind of that sloppy amateur attempt so I think my mission now is to show people there's a huge difference between, honestly, I mean, shitty writing and then quality writing. There's There actually is a big difference there. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Um, that's kind of part of my, my pursuit as a writer is to educate people on the difference between, you know, something that has a subject that's interesting, you know, a vampire novel, but then something like, uh, you know, writing by Malcolm Gladwell or writing by Juno Diaz where it's quality writing that takes a lot of time and a lot of thought to craft. And, um, you know, I believe that's, that's kind of the cloth that my book is, is, uh, covered in. Yeah. I, I think that your, your story and, and it's funny because, you know, I've, I've, I've shared aspects of my, my life story on the show and I, I can totally understand where you're coming from. You know, I, I also, you know, and I, that's one thing with, with you were referencing with Ken Shamrock and, you know, him going from foster home to foster home. My, you know, my mom was a career foster parent and she raised a lot of children, Wow. myself included. And, um, you know, I, I, I can totally understand that there's there's a level where you have to draw the line where you're writing something to tell people as a mode of therapy and where you're doing it to be vindictive. Right. And the way you're, you're doing the book isn't not only to share your journey, but you're doing it as a form of therapy, which isn't, you know, it's not negative. You're just calling a spade a spade. You know, if your dad, if your dad was, you know, part of the way I, I word it, but if your dad was a dick, you're entitled to say, hey, my dad was a dick. He created me, but he was a dick. Nothing wrong with that. You know, <laughs> you're entitled, you're entitled to share that with people. I mean, you know, my, my, you know, my birth mother's an asshole. I can say it. I'm not, I'm not, hey, <laughs> I'm not saying anything less negative than anybody else would say. Because if somebody else knew your dad from for, for, for another reason and felt that he was an asshole, they nobody can stop them from saying, hey, that guy's an asshole. You know, the, fir the First Amendment says that. You have a freedom to express that. So I don't understand where this comes from, where they would actually go about mucking up the court system to stop you from sharing your story. They, they, they're failing to realize that it's not just sharing your journey, but it's, it's therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rich, it's been amazing how much I've learned. Just, I mean, I, I went to grad school for writing, but there are so many lessons about the law that I learned and you just brought up, like you're allowed to say my dad is a dick, you know, but, um, one really interesting thing that you can't write because it can be proven. So if, for instance, there, there's a scene in the book where my, my father, throws my, my younger sister, I think she was eight at the time, into a garage door. It was a very violent scene. I ran after him to, to protect her. I mean, I snapped because I, I had had enough at that point. 
I was 12, I think. Um, I ran after him and just ate a backhand that just, I mean, it was like, it, it was like well beyond what Rick Flair can deliver. <laughs> and, <laughs> nice. And uh, right across the face, you know, I, I was bleeding, and I, I took off, and I ran to a golf course um, and made a phone call to, to get home. So there's a scene in that book where I discussed that. Um, what I can't do, however, I, well, I can, but I'd have to have proof of it, is if I say on August 24th at 7.30 in the morning, this is what happened. Right, because it's considered slander. Sort of, well, yeah, but once those details come into play, then he could say, well, no, I have an airline ticket that says I was in Cabo during those times. Ah, so interesting. If it's, yeah, so, so if there's too many details like that um, that make it so you can prove it untrue, then, of course, you know, it, it's, it's not worth pursuing unless you know for sure it was that date at that time in that place. But um, I don't remember the date. All I remembered is my sister was getting her ass beat, and so was I. You know, and so that's, that was what was important for the story. Um, it didn't matter when it happened. It didn't matter the day or the time. What mattered was what happened. So um, any, any, any dates and things like that that I had in the book, even if I was, like, really, really sure about them, I cut them out just because I think it would end up giving, you know, giving the other side, if you will, uh, a, I don't know, a little more of a, leverage. a chance. Right, it would leverage, give the other side right, leverage, yeah. yeah. I, you know, it's just, it's just crazy that, and, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm just a little dumbfounded that somebody would go, if you don't agree with something somebody else writes, then either write, write, write a statement to counter that, or don't read it. I mean, are you, are you, I haven't gotten that far into the book. Are you putting your, your dad in there by name? Well, the interesting part about the book is that it's called Caged because I share my father's name. Ah. And, yeah, and so there, there's, there's been a lot of advice from people who are sort of outside of the industry, and they've said, well, can't you fictionalize it? Can't you change names? And even if you do those things, the insinuation is still there, and so the lawsuit can still happen. Um, Damn. But, you know, I don't know, it was uh, six months ago or so, I was getting phone calls from friends. Cameron, what happened at Best Buy? Dude, are you okay? And I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Well, your name's in the paper. You were arrested at Best Buy? What the hell? And I was like, no. I, I was like, guys, that must be my father, man. So, I mean, this, that's one of the ways that I felt honest to God, caged by sharing the same name as somebody who, in my opinion, doesn't have all that great of a reputation. Um, you know, and so I, I, I just kept getting doors closed in my face about the publication of this book, and it got to a point where I, I figured, I think the book is a unique enough contribution to the field that, it's, that it shouldn't be bullied like this into oblivion. Um, and it was like my mentor in Arizona he said, look, you're publishing this book. This means you're countering your stepmother's wishes, okay? And he's like, you either counter hard and crush her and use the drama to your advantage, or you, you cower and hide and you, you don't even reveal the shit you've been through. So I, I was like, man, he's right. the talk of countering, like you just said, I, I, I felt like, you know, Anderson Silva would counter hard, man, <laughs> and, and he would use that mistake or that weakness to an advantage. So that's why I'm here. That's why I'm, I'm going on these rants. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I applaud you for that. I mean, for I, I, like, like I was saying, you know, and sharing what little I shared, I, you get to a point where you almost feel not a, not ashamed of telling people who you are, 
but just you get to a point where you're going to take that adversity and make something good out of it. And that that's what you've been doing, which is right. the right way to do it. I think that if you sit there long enough guilting yourself into not wanting to do something about it, you're going to end up losing an opportunity. So your mentor was on point in telling you that you should really counter that. I mean, thank you, because I, I did sit with this a long time, and I felt guilty bringing, the, bringing this lawsuit stuff up. I just didn't want to make the situation worse. You know, that's how I saw it at the time. But um, I think as, as time progressed, I was thinking, like, why not, why not use this? Why not use this as part of the ongoing story? Use this to inspire other people? And um, I think uh, the University of Arizona and Penn State Altoona, I told them, like, if you want to bring me in via Skype, into your classroom and have your writing students do a Q&A with me about some legal repercussions that might come due to their nonfiction writing, I'm a fucking expert now. <laughs> that's right. So go ahead and bring me in, you know? <laughs> no, that, that's right. I mean, if, if you've endured this experience, once again, it's all about just paying it forward. But with regard to that right. at this point, how are you going to get the book published? Uh, so I have essentially created my own press, um, and it's called three breed press. And it's a combination of three, which is a, a number that inspires me. And there's a bit in the book about why that number inspires me and freed, uh, which is what I felt like this whole experience has made me. And so I, I sort of mashed those words together into three press and it's, it's basically a self publishing venture. You know, I've had some help putting it together so it looks professional and um but i've also put countless 16 18 hour days in at my computer because i'm my own marketer i'm my own editor i had to design the book um using a software that was well beyond anything i've ever used before um so my, my two poetry books that are coming out are by very renowned publishers you know publishers who have been around for years and years and are highly respected um, and so I felt like because I had that base and I already have this sort of backing in the, in the MMA industry with sure dog and with, uh, in the poetry industry with everything I've done that it, it's not such a bad thing if I self publish. I mean, I, I used to be such a hater on people who self publish cause it, the quality was usually really bad. But, um, again, I've, I've had so many mentors that said like, you're in a very unique circumstance. You're not self publishing because your writing sucks. You nope. know, there's plenty of other reasons why you should do it. Yeah, my uh, one of our one of our writers actually self-published um, a book, a children's book. So you know, it, it, and in his, I read I read the book twice, and um, you know, it's not. There's definitely a uh, there, there's definitely a, a creative freedom with that. I mean, one of the things I enjoy about doing the show the way I do it on a live format is not having to answer to anybody. So I think you going this route is is great just because at this point you can bring in other authors that share the same vision and even help them publish some of their stuff. I mean, that's, that's honestly what I'm hoping for because at this point, even the poetry industry, there's like 20 poets out there. And they are the only people getting published. They're the only people getting feature interviews in magazines. And it's got to the point where the entire writing industry is scared to death to bring in new writers and take a chance on them. And so they're just they're sticking with what they have. They're sticking with people who are already famous. And so if us self-publishing dudes can use that as leverage and, and sort of create a name for ourselves, I, I think that's awesome. You know, it's opening up the field and making it more fair. 
Yeah, I think I think that you doing that once once again is just taking a, a negative and making a positive out of it. And I'm actually, like I said, I'm, you know, I, I appreciated you letting me check out the book, and I'm looking forward to reading it because I want to review it, and I'm gonna share, you know, a little bit of a little bit of insight into how it relates to even some of my some of my own experiences because the way you put it out there and your motivations for writing it i you know i've gotten that same instance where people go you know you should really sit down and and write your life story and i'm like yeah i don't know about that <laughs> so you know i definitely <laughs> I, I gotta i have to i have to applaud you for for doing that because like anything else you're opening up a pandora's box about how people can look at you that didn't know that particular aspect of your life and you know some 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 people some people may get their feelings hurt, and it's like you know you reap what you sow. If right. you went if you went through that type of of an experience, and you choose to share it to educate others and help them to overcome similar situations, why should you? Why should you stop? Why should you be hindered? Yeah, and I agree. And uh, you know, as far as you writing your book, I think honestly, I think it would be worth it, even if you for whatever reason couldn't get it published. Um, the one thing that, that seriously reflecting on your past and then writing about it does is that it, it forces you to see other perspectives. So if you, if you don't get the scene just right in a certain paragraph, you backspace it and then you re-enter that scene in your mind. Okay, what exactly happened? What are the details here? And just I think, I think because I've been writing about this for 10 years or so, I've come to see, you know, when I was 15, 16, 17, I just thought my dad was an asshole. I thought he was just an angry prick, you know, but I've come to see that he's really a, a good man in his heart. He's like a very gentle, loving man, but there's often a difference between what he wants and then what actually happens. And I think it's because he just, he doesn't have the tools to, to share that love and to share his gentleness and because the anger sort of overrides it, um, which is a huge like mental shift in my brain. Cause I just saw him as this angry you know, evil person, but he's, he's not, he's, he's a gentle, loving man, but he just, he doesn't have the tools to show those sides of himself. And, um, that's what the writing of this book has helped me. I mean, there's a letter, basically a forgiveness love letter in there to my dad, where I, I thank him for everything he did and everything he didn't do. Um, it's very positive about my father, but it's, it's also not straying away from the scenes that really shaped me, you know, the back end of the face, the, the time where my sister got thrown into a garage, I'm not going to shy away from those either. But I, I made the point very clear that, look, my dad did some shit to me, but he's a really good guy. He just doesn't know how to be, you know? Right. That, that's not that's not a, that's not actually a negative. That's a, that's a testament to the fact that people can change. You know, you have you, 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 right, may, have, yeah. you, you may have had some some bitterness and some negative feelings towards him based on that but like i said the book served as a as a as a means of of therapy and it allowed you to kind mm -hmm. of get closure so to see somebody really go out of their way to stop once again uh putting out something that may help others and inspire others who who have harbored grudges against you know family members for whatever reason from possibly finding solace just it it, it still boggles my mind yeah, I mean it, it. It's what it really makes me admire what you're doing on the radio show, where you can bring up this this Magic the Gathering story and just go ahead and share your thoughts about it. I, I think it's so it's so important. I mean, I give speeches on anti-bullying at, at different schools, and I really felt like while I was giving these speeches on on anti-bullying, I myself as a writer was being completely bullied and and not allowed to tell my story, and so. 
I, I really, I mean, I've, I've listened to your episodes here. I think it's awesome what you're doing, bringing writers on to share their story, bringing fighters on, gaming. You cover such a wide range of, of angles, and, I mean, it, it just, it has to make us grateful that we have these outlets, you know? Well, yeah, I, I never thought, I never thought in 2006 that I would be, you know, doing what I'm doing just, just because of that, because, you know, I, you, you sit there and you, you take so many experiences and you realize that, you know, nobody's going to want to, nobody's going to give a shit about this, but I've, you know, I've shared aspects of my, of my personal life with people that, like I said, have proven to be therapeutic, you know, just, just from, from an upbringing standpoint and what I do and, you know, how I apply some of these lessons towards other things. And, you know, there's, there's no reason why you can't use mediums to do that. Right. Yeah. So that was, that's kind of what my crusade has been about. Why I've, I've not just let this thing be bullied and, and, uh, not let publishers just smash me to the point where I don't, I don't have a book anymore. I, there, there was a period of like four months where I had a book that wasn't a book. It was this weird stage, like where I spent years of my life doing this thing. And I thought to myself, like, is it worth it not to let it publish and just take it as a, as a learning experience? And hell no, I just kicked the idea around so many times where I was like, no man, this, this has potential to help other people. Um, that's right. And it's not like I'm trying to pursue it for some money making venture. Uh, you know, I, the ebook is going to be released for two ninety nine or something like that. You know, this isn't this isn't like I'm trying to become Donald Trump here. <laughs> uh, so I, I just figured I'm going to go for it. And, and you know, I've had some good support from the MMA community, but I'm hoping it continues because honestly, I'm concerned that she's listening right now, even sure. you know, the stepmother, and that she's going to try to launch a, a smear campaign or whatever. And and I'm hoping that you know, the reputation that I've built with, with anti-bullying and with, uh, just peace and justice and all these issues, I'm hoping that a lot of people come out and say like, no, look, screw this smear campaign. You know, let's get this guy the feedback and the support that he deserves here. And, uh, so again, I, I've had a lot of really good emails, but I'm just so thankful that I, I do have like the mentors and the family and the support system in place. Well, you, de you know, you definitely, you definitely got my support on it just from a, you know, like I said, from a, from a kindred spirit standpoint. <laughs> and hey if you need any help with your with your writing or anything honestly send me a message i'd love to shoot you some tips or shoot the shit about some stuff yeah i think uh yeah i think uh, at, at some point I'll, I'll i'll buckle in and and sit down and do it because there's you know there's, there's a lot of things to to do with that but the way the way you've approached it is like like, like i said a, a learning experience for you as well because now you can impart that to to people you teach Yeah, that's that's my mission, man. <laughs> well, the, the last thing I wanted to ask you was um, while you've been training in Thailand, I only I wanted to ask you know, and you talking about the fight with the trainer was was part of answered part of my question. But how do you feel the level of discipline and training in Thailand? Um, can be applicable here in the States, especially you training in, in Thailand and here in the States. How do you feel that training in Thailand gives you a, a, a better understanding of, of the martial arts form, especially for, for Muay Thai? Um, is it more disciplined and more structured? How do, how do you feel those, those two things differ in your training in the U S and in your training in Thailand? Yeah, that's actually something I've been 
exploring a little bit just through some free writing and free thinking, I guess. Um, from what I've seen here, it's, it's very unstructured, the Muay Thai training, because it goes back so many years. It's, it's such a part of the, the culture here um, that they don't feel a need to have it be, to have the teaching of it be very regimented and very um, formulaic. And so I think that's where Master Toddy has had so much success is that he opened up all these Muay Thai academies in America based on uh, a structured regimen, which is how America does things. It's how wrestling camps do things. It's how jiu-jitsu class does things. You know, you start jiu-jitsu class with a 15-minute warm-up, then you get into techniques, then you roll at the end. There's sort of this, this pattern, but here it's almost like you go in, you kind of you do your own warm-up, you hit the bags, you do your own thing, then if there's a trainer available, they'll work with you on the pads. And sometimes they'll just blow you out where you're just, you're not really learning any technique. You're just getting tired. And then sometimes they'll, they'll show you some subtleties of technique. Um, but as far as the teaching of martial arts, it's, from what I've experienced, it's very different here. Um, but that because the Thai fighters start so young, <clears throat> I mean, a lot of them turn professional at eight. <coughs> so... They have like this amazing level of accuracy and technique with their kicks and knees and, and elbows that really I, I've seen foreigners who have trained from the time they were 15 or 16. They just don't have that kind of smoothness of, of technique. It's, it's, like, it's like the Gracie family. They've been on the mats rolling since the time they were six. They just have this sensitivity to it that you can't pick up if you start it later on. Um, that said... Western boxing honestly can dominate a lot of the Muay Thai aspects here um, because the Thai fighters simply aren't good with their hands and they aren't good at um, what Anderson Silva is good at, which is landing a punch of your own while punches are coming at you. Right. So a lot, of the, a lot of the Thai fighters here, counterpunching, yeah, so a lot of the Thai fighters here, it's just straight forward and straight back. Either you're punching or you're waiting for somebody to punch. There's no, there's no in-between where you're going to slip just a little bit to the left and counter that jab and, and come through with the right hand. It, they don't really have that um, style here. So I've noticed that if I'm sticking my jab out and I'm, and I'm landing my, my punches, they are flinching and they're just not sure how to handle it. So they almost just take it and wait for it to end, and then they wait to respond. Whereas you see Anderson Silva, he doesn't just take it and wait to respond. Nope. While it's coming is when he responds. Um, so that's been a huge difference. And I've, I've sparred a lot of Thai fighters, and I've been able to go like three, four rounds with them at a very intense pace, basically because of my jab. So, I mean, I didn't expect that when I came out here, but that's been an interesting experience. They, um, their level, the, the strength of their, their training is, is another question I was curious about. You know, you see a lot of fighters and I've seen this done on ESPN sports science where they show the level of power behind certain strikes. Do you feel that the Thai right. fighters emphasize, you know, especially with leg kicks and leg strikes, the amount of strength more so from the legs and only use their hands more so as, as a, as a blocking mechanism and the, their legs are their primary force of attack? Um, yeah, I guess you could, I guess you could say that, um, they, they really don't even, 
they don't like punches whatsoever. Even even at Muay Thai events, the announcer will frequently say, "Punches score less points here." You know, it's it's uh, elbows, knees, and kicks. Those those are the weapons of choice. Those are what score punches and or, or score points, and it makes sense because you don't have any padding on those areas. <laughs> you know, your your knees aren't padded. Nope. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's they're they work at such high levels of repetition too. So, I mean, they'll throw a thousand, two thousand knees in a single training session, a three-hour training session. So, they have just a, an insane amount of muscle memory that they're able to generate loads of power through their hips, and it, you know, it all comes up through the floor. So, from their feet to the way they extend their hips, they can generate unbelievable amounts of power in in a uh, a knee strike that. Honestly, it's taken me three months just to get my hip flexors strong enough to to generate that kind of power. And they're strong enough now, but I don't have any accuracy with it. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's been really interesting to learn that. I mean, they are just, they're so, they're so smooth and so accurate with those strikes. But um, like I said, they're punches. They just, they don't, they don't like it. They don't, they don't really respect it until they're in there with a boxer. How how many hours of, of training do you do at the Thai camps? Um, I guess it depends. The, the past month or two, I've been pursuing this book so much that I haven't I haven't been able to train as much as I'd like. But uh, I was putting in about about two to three hours a day, and that was including you know Muay Thai training and um, some of the yoga and, and other things that I do outside to to assist that. But I was hoping to to gear up for to have a professional Muay Thai bout here. Nice. Um, but just all the drama with this book, you know, it, it's, it's really pulled my, my time away from my training and just my relationship with my body. I'm, I've been attached to the computer way too much, so I'm hoping once the book's released, I can, I can be released and I can get back into training because I, I love it. I mean, I, I love fighting, and I, I, love, I love how it develops your body. I love how healthy I feel when I'm training. Um, you know, it's... It's such a practical way to stay in shape because it, it applies to self-defense. You know, if something happens on the street and I'm with my wife, I feel comfortable. I'm going to feel comfortable handling that. Whereas if I'm just going to the gym and I'm on a treadmill, what's that really doing for me? You know, it's, it, yeah, sure, it's getting my heart rate up, but I'd like to get my heart rate up and have it be practical too. Oh, yeah, I, I loathe standard cardio for that reason like we i i like hitting i like hitting i like hitting the heavy bag you know i like throwing knees and elbows um you know think things of that nature only because i feel it's a, it's a better burn uh cardiovascularly um you know I, i'll jump rope and etc but you know shadow boxing hitting the heavy bag knees um you know leg kicks the it, it's just a, a better burn so i can understand where that becomes more functional not only that but you become you know it's like you know bruce bruce lee was saying you know the man that throws a thousand kicks versus the man that masters one kick uh, same rules that's apply. beautiful yeah i love that how did you how did you get started in your martial arts training is it something you've been doing for a long time or did um, ufc help spark that or <laughs> no i actually my mom sent me to karate class when i was six <laughs> um, and awesome. Yeah, so she sent me to that, and then I did that for a few years, and then you pick up a few things from a couple of friends, and you know, to to train full time, I don't, I can't do it with a full time job. I, I mean, I'd love to do it. I used to always say, you, you know, I'd want to train and 
get in a cage by the time I'm 30 at least once to say I did it, but there's yeah. not enough time, man. It's like anything else. You, you, if you don't have the time for it, you can't do it. And it, it's in the back of my mind at some point, maybe. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, I if if I if I can make the 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 show a full time gig, then maybe I'll go and and train MMA full time, and maybe I'll get lucky and get a get nice. a fight in there. It would be, it'd be nice, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that time element's so important. It makes me see how wise you are. I think there's there's been so many people who are like, Cameron, why aren't you fighting over there yet? And I'm like, because I've been writing this book, and they're like, well, can't you do both? Nope. And I'm yeah. like, look, if this if this were soccer, if this were soccer, I would go play soccer. But you're putting your body and your health on the line with somebody who's trying to knock your head off. So right. you need to take the training for that. Honestly, in my opinion you have to take that a little more seriously than if you're going to play like soccer or, or even football. Um, I love those sports, but there's something different when elbows are flying at your face. You, you take every single part of your life as a form of training from, from sleep to watching technique videos while you're on the toilet. Seriously, it becomes an obsession because if it's not an obsession, you're putting yourself at possible risk for getting seriously hurt. Um, and that takes a lot of time, you know, it takes a lot of time. So I, I admire your strength to not fight, to realize that there's a huge time constraint on that too. No, I, I mean, that's the, that's the funny thing. It's, it's everything, everything I've done has been self-taught. You know, I, I, at one point I, uh-huh. I was, at one point I was going to college, um, for criminal law. My mom got sick. I dropped out. She passed away. I couldn't go back. Then I said to myself, can I go back now? No, because I just don't have that same level of focus to sit there and learn something versus me self, you know, being self-taught. It's just a matter of discipline. Right. So the, the the same rules apply. If if you're giving yourself time before, you know, embarking on a on a career in in Thai fighting in in Thailand, you know, in the on home field on home soil, you gotta kind of tread a little <laughs> carefully because those guys have. A, a lot more training and they learn a lot more tricks which obviously they may not pass on to a foreigner very true um i want to talk about what you said uh, uh relating to like having a team and being self-taught also um at, where i grew up in altoona and i cover a lot of this in the book but there wasn't an mma school at the time so i think when i was 18 i started my own and it was very selfish but i i uh you know, I, I just went into a gym and I was like, look, I don't have any money, but I've won a couple of jiu-jitsu tournaments. Uh, I have a couple mats that I bought at Toys R Us. Could I put them down and have an MMA class here? <laughs> they're, like, they're like, absolutely. We've seen, we've seen you in the newspaper. Oh, we had some technical difficulties there. I think it was on Cameron's end. Oh, man. Cameron, if you are listening, just call back in since we are obviously either experiencing technical difficulties on the Skype side or on the blog talk radio side. I'm thinking it's probably going to be on the Skype side, but we'll see what happens. So if Cameron is still listening, he can uh, dial back in. I think he had some call issues. He might have been using Skype since we've had issues like that before. So I apologize for that. I'm sure he will call in momentarily. But you know what? While he um, calls back, I'm going to take a quick commercial break. What do we found tonight, even? Tonight at 10 on your local news. I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you say this is the deal of the century, people? I'm telling you. 
So, Jason, uh, what, what, I mean, what, what are we doing tonight, tumbling with Tumbleweed, Tuesday nights at 10 p.m., blogtalkradio.com, Eastern Standard Time? Do you even know? Jason? Jason, are you there? All right, and we're back. I'm just going to go through some of the MMA stuff until Cameron calls back. I'm sure Slick will let me know when he calls back in since the call dropped. Um, obviously, before Cameron called in, we were talking UFC 134, and um, we were talking about his book. I'm just going to go through some of the MMA news for this week, and when he calls back, we can continue the interview and wrap up the interview also at the same time. Uh, first off, I want to open with some Strike Force news. Strike Force Challengers 19 is coming together for September 23rd at the Pearl at the Palms Casino in Las Vegas. On the main card, you have Lorenz Larkin versus Virgil Swicker. LeVar Johnson is going to be fighting Sean Jordan. Ryan Couture is going to be fighting Maka Watson. And uh, Brian Melancon is going to be taking on Felipe Portella. On the prelims, you got Magno Almeida and James Terry and uh, Jerome Peoples and Joe Ray. In addition to that, they added a welterweight bout with Jason High and Todd Moore, which I'm going to be looking forward to seeing on the main card. And they also added a women's featherweight bout between uh, Jermaine Durandamy and Julie Kedzie, and a lightweight bout between Bobby Green and Sharon Spain. Credit to the guys at MMA Junkie for that bit of news, and you can check that out September 23rd. In some other Strike Force news, they've finalized the card for the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix. First off, on the main card on Showtime, which is going to be on September 10th, the main event is going to be Josh Barnett versus Sergey Karatanov. The co-main event is going to be Daniel Cormier taking the place of Alistair Overeem against Antonio Bigfoot Silva. You also got Jacare taking on Luke Rockhold, and then Hodger Gracie is going to be taking on King Mo, and Maximo Blanco was supposed to be taking on Josh Thompson, will now be taking on Pat Healy. On the prelims, which you'll be able to watch on HDNet, Mike Kyle is going to be fighting Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Uh, Faye Zhao is going to be taking on Yoel Romero. Uh, Jordan Main is going to be taking on Evangelista Cyborg Santos. Alexis Davis is going to be taking on Amanda Nunes. And uh, Chris Mirzwiak is going to be taking on Dominique Steele. And that's going to be for the Heavyweight Grand Prix on September 10th. Dana White shared a little bit of commentary with regards to Alistair Overeem either returning to Strike Force or the UFC following UFC 134. And these are the answers to some of the questions. When asked about the status of negotiations, he stated, We're talking. You guys know how the whole thing went down. Golden Glory was in this posi position where we couldn't do business, but they changed their position, which I respect. Now we can do business. When asked about the resolution of their dispute with Golden Glory, he said, we're never going to be in a situation where we pay managers and not fighters. We pay fighters. Fighters pay managers. We're never going to be in that situation no matter who the guy is. Look at how many guys from Black House are in the UFC. If tomorrow they said, hey, listen, you've got to pay us and not the fighters, we're going to be in the same situation. It's not going to happen. When asked about whether Overeem would end up in strike force of the UFC, he responded with, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Speaking of strike force, a UFC veteran who is going to be making his debut in strike force is going to be Keith Jardine. He's rumored to be fighting on the December strike force card. 
Jardine has been working with nutritionist Mike Dolce and will be dropping to 185 for his next fight. Strikeforce hasn't officially announced Jardine yet, and no opponent has been announced either. In some UFC news, Donald Cerrone is stepping in for the injured Sam Stout to fight Dennis Seaver at UFC 137 in October. That's going to be Donald Cerrone's fourth fight in 2011. Big props for the Cowboy for taking this fight. Stout withdrew earlier this month, obviously still feeling the effects of the passing of his brother-in-law and longtime trainer, Sean Tompkins. I got to give credit to Donald Cerrone for stepping up and doing the right thing. He is, a, he is a, an exciting fighter to watch, and his fourth fight in 2011 isn't bad. The Cowboy goes out there every time and delivers, and I'm, you know, I'm always pumped to see him fight. Kurt Angle makes his way into the MMA segment this week. Kurt Angle stated that he almost joined the UFC. According to a statement he released, he said the following, I actually contacted Dana White after the movie, which would be Warrior. I flew out to meet him once and got a great offer. I contacted him again. I was thinking about dropping out of Impact Wrestling, and there were some personal issues with my marriage, and I just wanted to get away. I contacted Dana White. I flew out, and he had me take the UFC physical. I passed it, thank God, and he gave me an offer. The terms weren't good. I mean, not for me, and the terms I gave him weren't good for him. He wanted me to be ready in four and a half weeks. I always wanted three to six months, so I respect Dana White and love him to death, but as a very good friend, I knew I was capable of winning in four and a half weeks, but I wanted to be at my, as my, at my best. When asked about it, Dana White said, love Kurt, but not true. So, <laughs> very, very interesting there. Um, I honestly think Kurt Angle had it been five, maybe ten years ago, he would have definitely done well. In the UFC, I think um, one of the things that impressed me always about Kurt Angle was his level of dedication and the the amount of, of discipline with his Olympic training and his Olympic wrestling background. I think in MMA, had he not had the opportunity in WWE, he would have probably been a guy that would have had a career on the same level as, as, as a Randy Couture or a Chuck Liddell, just a guy who helped build the foundation for the sport with his background in Olympic wrestling. I was, you know, I'm, I'm sad to see Kurt Angle never get that opportunity. I know he's preparing for the Olympics now, but I think he would have been a great fit in the UFC uh, maybe five or ten years ago. I think at this point he's suffered a lot of injuries, and he's, he's still pretty one-dimensional. I think he would need a level of training that would probably have him cage-ready at least a year and a half to get himself cage ready. I don't think he can apply that much in six months. Who knows? I mean, the guy's a freak of nature, but I think to be truly successful, he couldn't have just gone in there relying on wrestling alone. It's called mixed martial arts for a reason. Slick just told me that Cameron is back on the line. I'm going to bring him back in so we can uh, wrap things up, considering that he got cut off in a very abrupt manner by good old Skype. Cameron, welcome back. Hey man, I was just chatting with Slick. He's a good dude. Yeah, the um, the the Skype thing has happened before with the uh, with the big long pause and then the call drop. Yeah, I think it's been really well so far considering the distance. So I can't complain. <laughs> well, um, but before we got cut off, we were talking about um, just the 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 difference in Thai training in the states and here, and um. 
you were just wrapping up your thoughts on it, if I remember correctly. I don't know if you remember where you were at. <laughs> yeah, um, I was basically talking, because you, you brought up the Thai, the Thai trainers may, may have tricks that they don't show the foreigners. And uh, I, I've been fortunate enough to, to know some Thai trainers long enough that they feel comfortable showing me some stuff. And it's like, uh, it's some amazing Bernard Hopkins type things where you turn the referee just, or you turn your opponent just a couple inches, which ends up shielding them, shielding the referee from seeing what's happening. And then you sneak in, you know, certain techniques. And <laughs> I mean, so it, it comes down to that time aspect where if you're not picking up those, those tricks, man, you, you could really get hurt. Yeah, exactly. You could get a well-placed liver shot in there. Make a guy, make a guy end up uh, right. peeing, peeing blood for a month. We don't want that. <laughs> But um, but before before we wrap things up, I actually received a text from Gary Friedman. Gary and his brother Rick wanted me to tell you hello. Um, you actually know Rick Friedman from the Goodreads Book Club. Yeah, yeah, they're good guys too. Yeah, Gary, Gary and I are are, are good friends. Gary does MMA Gospel Radio, and um, you know he's done the show with me a few times. I've done his show, so he actually just texted me a few minutes ago to let you know he sends his regards along with his brother Rick. Ah, that's all. I mean, that's, this is why the MMA community is so strong. I think there's, you know, of course there's the sure dogs and the big dogs at the top, but I think it's wonderful that, that some of the smaller organizations, the guys just getting started or working their way up are also supportive of each other. I mean, have you noticed this? I, I have. I think that, that a lot of the smaller guys do stick together. I have ran into instances of you know you get a couple of guys you know a little bit of elitism but i feel that right. there is a camaraderie right. in there i i think with us we have a different issue only because so many people feel that we are a one genre show and there's a lot of there's a lot of division in our audience you know we have mma fans that don't want to hear about wrestling we have wrestling fans that don't want to hear about mma then we have the few that like both we have the gamers that don't want to hear about either one of those things or the gamers that only want to hear about wrestling. So we have we have a unique uh, split and, you know, just an interesting demographic when it's broken down into numbers where, you know, very, very popular amongst 18 to 34s on the male side. You know, we, we get those key demographics, but there's definitely a lot of division. And the same thing applies to um, other broadcasters and other websites. You know, there's a level of, of elitism, even though. We know for a fact that working together, we stand a better chance of surviving than staying isolated. Yeah, absolutely. I love I love that you're addressing all these different issues on the show. I think society seems like it pigeonholes us and forces us into being certain specialists. So right on, man. You're combining a whole bunch of different passions, hopefully pulling in different demographics. Like you said, I think that's terrific. Yeah, that, you know, I, t I take a lot of pride in that. But um, to to wrap good, things good. um to wrap things up, I um, you know, if it, is there anybody in particular you want to address, give a shout out to um, you know, any thank yous you want to extend, and also, um, definitely give our listeners all the different ways they can keep up with what you're doing with regards to the book, social networking sites, anything like that. Um, I guess I'd like to thank my sponsor, What's Your Fight .com. They they really helped the guy. Uh, fresh out of grad school with a dream to come to Thailand, make, make that happen. Um, I don't know what else, what else I can say about them. They've really helped a dream come true. Um, people can check out what's your fight.com. Uh, 
it applies the concepts of MMA, discipline, training, all those things to life. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's run by me and Darren Clark now. Um, and Darren Clark is a lifelong martial artist, and he's, he's also a marriage counselor. So he's, he's fusing two amazing disciplines also. Um, and we'd love to help anybody who has any kind of problems, whether it's with, you know, their weight or their confidence or, or addiction. You know, we have a ton of resources where we can help people find help also. Um, so what's your fight.com? And uh, people can find me at CameronConaway.com. It's the repository where I keep all my sure dog writings, all uh, anything basically I come up with. I will definitely link the uh, My Take Radio interview there. And um, I'd like to thank My Take Radio. You guys are terrific for letting me come on, asking me good questions, and and uh, you know showing me some love. I really appreciate it. Well, I I appreciate you taking the time to call us long distance and for not only sharing your journey with us but just sharing a lot of personal stuff you know i i appreciate and commend that and like i said you know the there's there's an interesting there's an interesting story that we have that you know needs to be shared at some point at some point you know i'll sit you down and, and school you in so you can you can see how 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 similar things are but you know i i, uh, I, I love I, that please stay in touch oh yeah absolutely i appreciate what you're doing and challenging the system and you know, we'll we'll make sure to try and get the the word out for the book. You know, if anything, once it's on Amazon, send me. You know, I'll try and put an Amazon ad or something so people can check it out that way as well. Awesome! I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Right. you. You have my support too. I always say I'm a I'm a loyalist. You know, if I, if I'm treated right, I go out of my way to make sure the people that treat me right are treated right in return. Um, I think, you know. I, I did a, a radio interview last week, and, and Jason London um, of MMA Affiliate Radio ended up saying after the show, he said, you, you got to get behind good people doing good work, um, or else they're not going to be around very long, and you're going to have a bunch of knuckleheads doing nonsense. And I was just like, you know, I wrote down the quote, and I put it on my fridge. It's so true. If you find somebody doing good work like yourself, like I think that I am, um, you got to get behind these guys and support them, or else... You know, they might not be around very long. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you have all my contact information and you know where to find me on Facebook. So let's de let's definitely keep in touch. And, you know, when the book is, is fully published and, you know, you got you got a couple of weeks, a couple of months under your belt. I'd love to have you back just as a follow up to see how you're doing and to see how your journey through Thailand is going as well. All right, man. We'll do. All right, brother. You take care of yourself out there. Rich, thank you. All right, brother. All right, bye. Bye. All right, guys, that was Cameron Conaway. You can go to his website, CameronConaway.com. You can also head over to his fan page on Facebook, which is listed in the My Take Radio fan page favorites. In addition to that, you can follow him on Twitter, and I will be putting those links on the write-up for this interview once I write up the MTR Rewind, which you can expect probably later tomorrow or Saturday. So again, thanks to Cameron Conaway. I'm super supportive of his journey. I think that what he's doing is great, and he has the potential to touch a lot of people. So, you know, 100% endorsed on my end. All right, let's just wrap up this MMA stuff because there's a few things left to discuss. One particular thing I wanted to make sure to address is to extend my condolences to Jake Shields. Jake Shields actually lost his father recently, 
And um, despite losing his father, he will be taking the fight with Jake Ellenberger for UFC Fight Night 25. He posted the news himself stating that he lost his father and manager and one of his best friends. Um, again, I extend my condolences to Jake Shields, but I, I under, you know, I got to tip my hat to him for even taking this fight. Yeah, his dad, when you watched his, um, when you watched the buildup to Jake Shields versus GSP and you see his dad speak so passionately about him and, you, you know, just really push his son and be an advocate for his son it's a it was a it was a great thing to see and it and it sucks especially losing a supporter like that so you know definitely extending our condolences to him and jake shields will be fighting jake ellenberger at ufc fight night 25 spike tv released their pre-show schedule for their countdown series for the next three ufc pay-per-view events including ufc 135 136 and 137 Countdown for UFC 135 is going to be premiering Thursday, September 22nd. Of course, UFC 135 is going to be September 24th. Countdown to UFC 136 will be happening October 3rd. UFC 136 will happen October 8th. UFC 137 with uh, Nick Diaz and George St. Pierre. The countdown for that will be October 24th. And the event itself will be October 29th. Props to MMA Junkie for that. Speaking of UFC 137, the card has finally been finalized. On your main card, you have George St. Pierre and Nick Diaz for your main event. Carlos Condit versus BJ Penn for your co-main event. Czech Congo and Matt Mitrione. Mirko Krokop versus Roy Nelson. Hatsuhioki versus George Roop. Super excited to see Hatsuhioki fighting in the U.S. Donald Cerrone is going to be taking on Dennis Seaver. Tyson Griffin and Bart Polashevsky. Tim Crudur and Brad Tavares. Jeff Curran and Scott Jorgensen is going to be a great fight. Why that's not on the pay-per-view, I don't know. Elliot Marshall versus Brandon Vera. And Danny Boy Downs versus Ramsey Najem are going to be your fights for UFC 137. That's going to wrap up the MMA segment for this week. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we will be talking some wrestling right after this. It's for BallandStubbornRadio.com. BallandStubbornRadio. We like news, we like current events, but we like the fucked up news and the fucked up current events. BallandStubbornRadio, we talk about everything we entertain. We talk about movies. We talk about music. Mostly heavy stuff. Have good mosh beating! And because we're big fucking nerds, we talk about video games. <laughs> we're big fucking nerds. We love video Hey, Rich, you like the show, don't you? Yeah, man. Are you sure you like the show? Yeah, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the music. Isn't Born Seven Radio one of your favorite podcasts? Yeah, man. Awesome. Okay, hold on a second. I was just curious. I'm thinking about coming to New York. Awesome. You live in New York, right? Yeah. You think maybe I could uh, crash on your couch? Uh, in the predominantly Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shit. That's a lovely, but I don't know what the fuck you just said. In the Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shit. Exactly. Okay, I, I don't know what Rich is thinking, but don't step in radio.com is where you should be going right now. We will get it! Ah! 
And we're back. Let's talk some wrestling. Monday Night Raw. Very, very interesting Monday Night Raw. A couple of things I want to touch on there. Um, Of course, promos. Kevin Nash, Triple H, all this shit. Um, CM Punk cut another memorable promo. I got to throw a little little bit of props to the WWE for... giving Kevin Nash the NWO music. Nice little trip down memory lane hearing that. CM Punk continues to deliver awesome promos every week. Um, As always, he comes out there and he just annihilates anybody that wants to get on the mic with him. It just, it's to the point where guys like Triple H who who are great talkers, just, you can see how, not to see that they're exposed, but you can see that they're just working harder to keep up. I think that CM Punk's Promo skills make the wrestling audience, not only the wrestling audience, but it also makes wrestlers step their game up. It makes the audience step up to be more educated about certain things he's talking about. And for wrestlers, it just makes them want to improve to be better on the microphone. I think CM Punk is a guy that handles his business and he showed it again this week. That promo with him, Triple H, and Kevin Nash was fantastic um, leading up to the potential of a match with Kevin Nash, which I'll discuss later on in the segment, but great way to open Raw. We had a non-title match with Randy Orton and Dolph Ziggler. Randy Orton, obviously, if you thought Ziggler was going to win, you're insane, but um, a great match. Dolph Ziggler looked really good in that match, but his his body of work has always been solid. I think that having him wrestle Randy Orton, there's a great potential for a feud there. I think that Dolph Ziggler's at a stage in his career where he needs that one money feud to put him over the top. He still does his thing, but I think that's what's missing for a guy like Dolph Ziggler is the fact that he's missing that one big feud. That's what that's what it is. The one big feud is what's going to put him over the top, and I think a feud with Randy Orton may be just what he needs. Of course, right after that, we had a nice little CM, uh, excuse me, not a CM Punk promo, a John Cena promo, little shit talking there, which led to a tag match that was created for later on this evening with, of all people, John Cena and Sheamus against Christian and Mark Henry. It's very amusing to me because him and Sheamus, if you remember, John Cena and Sheamus wanted to fucking kill each other months ago. But yeah, you know, we'll just sweep that under the rug and not address it whatsoever because Sheamus is now a face. So, you know, we'll just we'll just pretend that all that beef never happened. Moving on, we were treated to a match with CM Punk and The Miz. Um, a lot of people felt that that match wasn't that great, but I'll be 100% honest when I tell you that these two guys in a feud have the potential to do great things. Nobody, nobody seems to understand the fact that The Miz knows how to be great on the microphone and help sell a storyline and involving him in a feud with somebody like CM Punk, which I hope happens later on after his issues with Triple H are resolved is just the thing that the Miz needs as well. I think that the Miz has gone out there and he cuts these really great promos, these really great shit talking promos, but against somebody like John Cena, who is, is solid on the mic, but I always feel John Cena's become 
I don't want to say lacks with his promos, but he just doesn't cut those same type of of passionate driven promos that you expect. And when I mean passionate, it mean I mean from the standpoint that you can hear his promo and actually believe the bullshit he's saying. He just comes out there and he's like. I'm just going to make fun of you because I'm John Cena and I'm from Boston. And then I'm going to scream like this because I'm fucking pissed off and my face is going to shake. You know, if that's how you really want to convey emotion, you're not really doing well. I think that the John Cena I remember that cut really great promos, I think, was during his... um, his ruthless aggression stage. And even when he was doing so many of his freestyle promos, he was... He had more dimension to it. Now it just feels like it's your typical babyface promo or your typical angry babyface promo. And against somebody like The Miz, who who's so good at the, at the, at the shit-talking right now, his wrestling still needs a little work, but the shit-talking that he has would, would complement a guy like CM Punk. And I really would like to see that feud at some point. Of course, on Raw, we got to see Sin Cara fight Jack Swagger. Again, total mismatch of styles. Um, Sin Cara at this point is being played by Unico, um, which I'm going to elaborate on later on Later on as to what's going on with that. But the match itself, again, just it's it doesn't work. I, I just feel that the Sin Cara character does not work well with these punch-kick wrestling personas like Jack Swagger. Not to take anything away from Swagger because he has... Uh, a great amateur wrestling background, but against a high flyer, it just doesn't mesh well. You know, Sinkara needs more high flying guys to feud with. Guys like Airborne, uh, Kofi King, you know, Airborne being Kofi Kingston and um, Evan Bourne, Rey Mysterio, even Daniel Bryan. I remember when Daniel Bryan had his match with Sinkara, who was at the time being played by Mystico, had had a really great match. And you can see that's because Daniel Bryan had had has such a diverse move set. I think with the quote-unquote WWE-style performers, the Sinkara character just doesn't work the same. I think that at this point, his character needs more cruiserweights to compete against, which is something that's been talked about as of late with them wanting to bring back the cruiserweight division. And I think that's something that can help the Sinkara character. Kids love the character. They sell a ton of merchandise, but... The the combination of him with some of these punch-kick WWE-style performers just isn't doing anything to help the character grow. We were treated next to a tag team title match with Evan Bourne and Kofi Kingston versus boring-ass David Otunga and Michael McGillicuddy. And I say that because that seems to be what's been said about them on the internet. And WWE.com is even going about it the same way, addressing both those guys as boring. I don't think that Otunga and McGillicuddy are boring. I just feel that the combination, their combination just doesn't work. David Otunga has too much, I don't even want to use the word swag because it doesn't apply to him because he's just a, you know, just a a piss-colored pretty boy. But I just think that with a guy like McGillicuddy who has that pedigree, that Mr. Perfect background, that he should be working that angle more so. He should be you know, booking, they, they should book him as the son of a legend. I think that he really does have the wrestling to, to back that up. And working with Otunga isn't helping. I honestly think that Otunga needs a little bit more seasoning in the ring. I think he's another guy that's good at playing the elitist heel, but his wrestling doesn't match his mic work, which is unfortunate because the guy, you know, guy's a fairly big dude. He can sell himself pretty well as a, as a pretty boy, but his wrestling is just horseshit. And he hides behind McGillicuddy, 
which is what they've been doing so he doesn't get exposed as having shitty wrestling. Take Otunga off TV for a, off TV for a little bit. Have him step his game up. Learn uh, learn and understand more of the wrestling from a psychology standpoint, and let McGillicuddy go on to become you know Michael Hennig or or you know still perfect or something. Do something with him to distance him from from this boring ass tag team because that's what's happening. Everybody's clowning these guys, but they're clowning them on the basis that there's no. There's no development to either one of them. They're just a tag team. They come out, they fucking bump forearms. David Otunga wears a tight-ass velour sweatshirt and sunglasses. Why? I don't know. Their ring gear doesn't match. McGillicuddy looks like fucking Will Ferrell in Ricky Bobby when he was delivering pizzas with the fucking backwards-ass baseball cap. There's zero rationale for any of it. You don't know why he's walking around with a velour sweatshirt. You don't know why McGillicuddy's coming out dressed like Ricky Bobby. It, it's insane. They just throw these guys out there and feed them to the wolves, which isn't necessarily a bad thing if the guys can actually swim and not sink. And that's what's happening. And the like I said, the anchor is Otunga. McGillicuddy has the tools. He just needs the mic work. And Otunga is the complete opposite. On the Divas side, we had Kelly Kelly and Eve Torres against Brie Bella. Well, Kelly Kelly was accompanied by Eve Torres and Brie Bella was accompanied by Nikki Bella. We um we got the old twin magic switcheroo. Nikki Bella wins, which I'm sure is going to lead to some sort of Divas title match. I can honestly tell you, I'm really tired of these four chicks wrestling every week. In some combination, whether it's Eve against the Bella, Kelly Kelly against the Bella, blah, blah, blah. It, just, it fucking sucks. Look, Kelly Kelly's cute. I got it. We all get it. But her wrestling is shit. It's shit. I think, honestly, the, those little cats that wrestle on YouTube videos put on better matches. The Bella Twins don't talk shit. I know Bret Hart was like, oh, yeah, you know. The, no. No, they, they, they're not on that level. They're not. Honestly, TNA still has better women's wrestlers that they don't do anything with than WWE has. They're more worried about mainstreaming, which is fine, but at least let these let these ladies learn how to wrestle better, and then they can mainstream. That's the way I see it. I think that right now, these four chicks wrestling every week is getting tiresome as all hell. To wrap things up, the tag team main event with John Cena and Sheamus against Christian and Mark Henry was exactly what you would expect, with John Cena and Sheamus capturing the win. Um... Great work, as, as always, from, from Mark Henry. I think Mark Henry's improved substantially. Um, Christian Christian is always going to be stuck because I don't understand what their big gripe is about putting the belt on him. I think Christian is solid on the mic. He's got good wrestling. You know, he's not the biggest dude on the roster, but you know what? Neither was The Miz. And you put the belt on The Miz, neither's Del Rio. Del Rio's all right, but he's an average. Del Rio looks like the guy that runs the bodega. You know, ever on Saturday mornings. He's got the slick back hair. Hey, amigo, como estas? Un paquete de Newports? Like, that's what I see. Like, Del Rio looks like he should be running a fucking bodega. Seriously. There's no... There's no... I don't want to say there's no distinguishing factors for Del Rio, but he's just a regular Spanish dude. He's just a regular Mexican guy that comes out in a snazzy suit with a car. So... To, to say that there's no upside to booking Christian as a main eventer is foolish. Not to say that that's the rationale, 
But I just think that Christian, there's, he has so much potential. And I actually mentioned this with uh, Don Mega from Future Endeavors on Twitter, where it, we were um, talking about the cage match for SmackDown, and he would, I, you know, we were like, you know, Christian's not winning this match. And I said to him via Twitter, Mark Henry will win the belt sooner than Christian will. It, you know, Christian will get the belt again, but Mark Henry will probably get it first. Which is sad, but it's fact. That's that seems the way to be the way they want to go with Christian's character. They just want to make him the conniving heel and not letting him have the belt, which adds a level of, uh, which adds a new dimension to his character. It's unfortunate, but right now Mark Henry's getting the monster push. So I wouldn't doubt Mark Henry will get the belt before 2011 is over. Lastly, to close things out. Triple H says that he spoke to the board of directors, at which point CM Punk mocks him, and the match with Kevin Nash has been canceled. So now CM Punk will face Triple H at Night of Champions. I joked about this with um, with Andrew, who's probably in the chat, in saying that I'm surprised it took this long for Triple H to jump back into the ring. And, you know, it's cool that he's getting back in, and I'm sure people are going to want to see him wrestle, but... You, you, you're not doing anything for Punk at this point. Because you obviously know that if Triple H comes in and faces Punk, it's almost 80% certain that Triple H is capturing the victory. Unless there's some shenanigans there, at which case, you know, Punk will win. But I think having Punk feud with Triple H is going along the Austin McMahon style of things, which is fine, but I think that it's a little too soon for Triple H to be involved from a physical from a physical point of view, I think that you could have just let the promos sell it themselves and go on with that. But sadly, they're just gonna go with the old throw Triple H in there and get people to buy the pay per view style. Which whatever, it's fine. But I I just feel it's a cop out, and they could have done so much more with Punk at this point. Moving on, we get into a live SmackDown, which had a couple of great matches. I'm not gonna go too crazy on some of the matches like I did on Raw, but I will say that John Cena and Wade Barrett was a lot worse than I expected for some reason. Wade Barrett and John Cena during their their feud with the Nexus was substantially better. I, I think Wade Barrett has a tremendous uh, tremendous potential um, in the WWN uh, in the WWE excuse me upper mid card in the near future. But for some reason he just didn't have a good match with Cena. I don't know if it was because Cena was using the old Superman defense where he gets beat up, then comes back and does his thing. But I don't know. I just It just didn't seem as, as fluid as their other matches. Daniel Bryan and Sin Cara was exactly what you would expect. Um, Unico was portraying him at this point. Once again, a great match. Uh, victory by Sin Cara. But the funny thing is that they're saying that they're entertaining a potential Sin Cara versus Sin Cara feud with Mystico under one mask and Unico under the other. Others are teasing a Sin Cara heel turn, which um, I don't know if you really want to do that at this point, just because his character and his persona, to go back to something Amazing Red said a while back, um, people who like masked wrestlers, they love them. So turning, trying to turn him heel is going to be next to impossible. The only way you can succeed in doing that is bringing in a masked heel from the get-go. That's what—that's the only way I think it's going to work. 
you have to bring in a masked heel to sell it. You can't turn Sin Cara heel, even though there's been rumors that they want to do that. Um, even if you do a Sin Cara versus Sin Cara feud, what are you going to do? Are you going to make uh, Mystico dress in black? Maybe a black Sin Cara outfit, which would be kind of cool, or, or do something different to differentiate the characters? Because if they're both dressed alike, that's not going to help things either. So, honestly, I think they should keep his character face, maybe have him adapt a little bit to the WWE style, which I've heard is what they're doing with Unico, and proceed to give him cruiserweights that he can feud with. And if you want to go with a masked character, then you need to bring in a masked heel. There's plenty of, of masked wrestlers out there that would make great heels. Honestly, um, I'm wondering who's playing La Parca nowadays. For those of you that don't know, La Parca was a luchador from WCW that would dress like death, like the Grim Reaper. And he was known as the chairman for always cracking people over the head with chairs during the matches, which was, you know, it, it was his, his signature. I honestly think that a guy like La Parca or something like that would be a great guy to bring in to feud with a Sin Cara because you have a, a, a masked heel, which you can do a lot of stuff with because you can say that somebody from his past is under the mask. You can say it's somebody else that, um, you know, somebody from the main roster that put on a mask and decided to wrestle um, because he had a beef with Sin Cara and he felt that he was ducking him. There's so many ways you can do that that would work. Um, you can even have one of your guys play the same character under the mask like they were doing with Red and um, Sangriento at the time. Honestly, I'd like to see Evan Bourne under a mask feuding with Sin Cara and just have a different moveset. You got to do something, but... I don't know, man. There's so much confusion with his character, and there's so many things you can do. Um, double double Sin Cara, I mean, I saw Andrew mention it in the chat, um, would be the way to go, but you really have to make one heel, change his costume completely, and go that route versus both of them feuding because one feels that the other is the original. You know, doing a feud based on that is going to be bullshit. Now, if you do a feud where one guy had his identity stolen and he decided that he's going to create a new Sin Cara or, you know, change the name a little bit to something else, then that works. But then feuding over an identity is going to get old really fast. All right. A couple of things from the live SmackDown I wanted to mention. Beth Phoenix and Natalia against Kelly Kelly and Alicia Fox was exactly what you would expect. Natalia and Beth Phoenix went out there and dominated. And not only that, but continued to expose uh, some of the holes in Kelly Kelly and Alicia Fox's game. Sheamus and the Great Khali was another clusterfuck of a match only because the Great Khali's at a stage in his career where he's just, he, he really just needs to retire. His body, I think, cannot take the level of physicality that you would think for a guy his size. We were talking about this yesterday on Xbox Live. Uh, myself, my nephew, Andrew, and uh, Juan. And um, we were talking about the fact that the great Kali being so big, the the being that height and those injuries, they take their toll on you as a performer. Kevin Nash is the same way. Kevin Nash was scheduled to beef with uh, CM Punk and have a match at Night of Champions, but they feel that physically there are some limitations towards him being able to wrestle, which, again, being that big, so many knee injuries and, and, and just carrying around all that weight, it catches up with these guys. So, you know, I'm, I'm surprised the great Kali can even still hold his own. Lastly, to close things out, the steel cage match with Randy Orton and Christian, 
Very good cage match. Again, these guys have excellent chemistry. Randy Orton, of course, wins. Um, then we get the Mark Henry epic stare down with Randy Orton. The only thing with Mark Henry is, can, can you please dry yourself off when you come out to have a stare down? Because you're all glistening and shit, looking like a milk dud. It's like, come on, man, dry yourself off. You're all shiny. Come on, man, clean up. Clean up a little bit when you come out, when you're going to do the shaky face. Yeah, wipe wipe your face off because you just look. You really do look like a milk dud. You look like a milk dud with a candy shell. Clean yourself up, please, please, Mark Henry. Do that for me. All right, that's gonna wrap up the SmackDown stuff. I got a couple of uh, wrestling news I wanted to go over. Of course, um, the first thing I wanted to talk about was Goldberg. Of course, I mentioned last week that Goldberg was coming back to wrestle, and it was not gonna be for the WWE. He was approached by TMZ about it, and he said that the reason why he's coming back to wrestling is because he wanted to do something different and for a good cause. The wrestling match that he's going to be doing in Africa, 100% of the proceeds will benefit various charitable organizations. Goldberg stated that he has stepped up his workout so he can be in the best shape possible. He said the following, At this time, the only thing that could get me back in the ring is something that could positively infect, uh, excuse me, positively impact those in need if selling out another major event would allow me to bring a full ship of supplies to hand out to those in needs to those in need i'd say it's very significant i guess i guess doing it that way is good you know it's for a good cause and i have no problem with that my only issue with goldberg has always been that he sells himself like he's the greatest motherfucker in the world and that you know, i understand you know you have a huge impact You've done a lot of great things in wrestling, but you were you were there because you were booked to be the best. It wasn't like you were cutting awesome promos. You came out there and you had impact impact when you when you came out and people really liked all the theatrics that went into your persona and it was great. But you're not as great as you think you are. That was always that, that's always been my gripe with Goldberg. I always feel that he he he's a little too gassed on himself. He's a great performer. Don't don't get me wrong. He's fantastic. But he's not as great as he thinks. That's all I got to say. I do commend him, though, for doing the right thing and donating 100% of the proceeds to charitable organizations. I think, you know, it's, it's a really nice thing to do, and I got to give him credit for that. I got to give you guys some news regarding Jeff Katz's Wrestling Revolution project. For those of you that don't know, Jeff Katz was a guest on the show a while back. And he actually shared his vision on what the perfect wrestling organization would be. It would be something that is written better and done differently than most of the shit you see on TV now. And one of the great things he's been doing the last couple of weeks is announcing new wrestlers that have signed up for the Wrestling Revolution project. The show is going to start filming in October and is going to be distributed via Netflix and Hulu Online after which the release the show will release on DVD as well. Thus far, MVP has signed Kenny Omega, Ken Doan, Colt Cabana, Alex Reynolds, and Dr. Luther have been announced to be involved in the project. And it was also announced that Davari will be joining as well. One of the great things I liked when Davari's um, when it was announced that Davari was signing was the fact that Jeff Katz mentioned not wanting to do those typical those stereotypical racially motivated gimmicks, just just being a wrestler. Like, Davari's just a wrestler, which is great because I think that 
sometimes too many organizations rely on the canned heat and they rely on our fears of other nationalities and other races as as a way to build characters and the problem with that is that once it's run its course that guy is pigeonholed as that character we can go back to you know muhammad hassan and what they did with that and the implications that that had you know with 9-11 and afghanistan and things associated with that which hindered the character and actually did more harm than good um one of the things i always hate is the typical being you know west indian or indian and automatically getting the chic gimmick or the i have money gimmick or i'm an oil baron i mean they, they've kind of strayed away from that a little bit but they, there is a little bit of that in the Jinder Mahal character. Um, one of the good things with the Great Kali is that they didn't really book him like that too much. I mean, they did at at one point when they you know they had the Punjabi prison match, which was fucking god awful. But overall, the reliance on race to sell a character is definitely a crutch that wrestling uses a lot. I, I have to applaud Jeff Katz for going the other way and looking to build Divari just Divari, well, Divari as a wrestler and not just as a guy who because he's Indian descent should play, you know, a terrorist or an oil baron or a sheik. Just make him play a wrestler. And for that I have to applaud Jeff Katz. The Wrestling Revolution project is going to be a 13 episode concept. It's going to have a three active narrative structure which is what Jeff Katz discussed on the show and it's going to cut the cord completely on the way modern wrestling is done that you're going to get new characters and it's going to be something which I'm really looking forward to seeing because it has so much potential to just change the game completely. If you want more information on that, check out the wrestling revolution project on Facebook. You can check out the, my take radio favorites on our Facebook fan page and you can head over there and see what they're doing. And I believe geek week online, which is Jeff Katz's other site also has the roster announcements that usually come out daily, if I'm correct. Lastly, it wouldn't be a wrestling segment without talking about Matt fucking Hardy. If you remember, Matt Hardy got arrested for driving under the influence. And, you know, we got to see that beautiful mugshot of him looking like a hobo. Shortly after that, of course, you know, guys like Shane Helms and the rest of them came to his defense about us not knowing the full story i shared my my take on that but shortly after that matt hardy fell got taken to the hospital a complete clusterfuck now matt hardy has decided to release a very cryptic youtube video which pretty much implied that he was going to possibly commit suicide now of course once this video came out people saw it and grew very concerned uh, obviously, his family was called, the police were called, but Matt Hardy stated that he wasn't committing suicide. It was the death of the, his Matthew persona, if I remember correctly. And I think that what Matt Hardy is doing is using his his influence to stay relevant, but he's being selfish in not thinking about the people that it affects. Jeff Hardy's wife actually went on Twitter um to discuss that and she's posted um the following Ugh, i'm so sick of bullshit don't believe everything you read no matter who writes or posts it when cops show up at our house at 11 p.m for a suicide call the fucking joke is over matt hardy stop trying to work the internet i guess you, you got what you wanted matt everyone is talking about you again but it's not in a good way 
When Shane Helms posted the clip, which was in regards to Matt Hardy's suicide video, he said, don't believe the hype and please don't bash me for it. I didn't do it and had nothing to do with it. This goes back to what I said last week with, with people co-signing Matt Hardy shit. You obviously know that the minute you put out a video of that nature on YouTube, people that genuinely give a shit are going to be like, damn, man, I should call the cops. Because if something would have happened to Matt Hardy, the, the thousands upon thousands of fans that saw that and saw that cry for help would have probably felt guilty that they could have prevented it. Um, Matt Hardy, I don't understand what the fuck his deal is, why he's deciding to do this type of stuff, this, these type of crazy tactics to stay relevant. If you want to stay relevant, Matt Hardy, clean yourself up, join a wrestling promotion, and make an impact. If you're supposed to be this great wrestler, get rid of all the vices, align yourself with people that give a shit about you, and, and, and hone your craft to be the best at what you do. Overcome all these demons and put your money where your mouth is. You know, you and your brother are, were considered greats, tag team specialists. Obviously, your vices and your demons have caught up with you and have gotten you guys into a lot of trouble. If you guys are as great as you say you are, show it to us. Show it to the wrestling fans so that we can actually give a fuck about you and support you. Don't sit there and think that by putting out cryptic YouTube videos and fighting with the fans on Twitter that you're accomplishing anything. On the contrary, you're just making yourself look like a big jackass, which is sad because, again, you know, Matt Hardy has a ton of, a ton of potential. The guy, the guy has, there's potential under all the bullshit, but that's the problem. You have to actually dig through all that, all that baggage and that bullshit to find any type of, of talent, which is unfortunate. I have to actually shout out Strider. Strider said, um, it might've been better if Matt Hardy would have been serious. He also went on to say that broads do that shit. And uh, while it is very humorous, there there is some some relevancy to that. I think that if you want attention, there's other ways to do it. Um, y using suicide or entertaining any any sort of a suicide angle is in real poor taste, especially with what's been happening in the wrestling industry. How many wrestlers have died due to suicide? You know, we can talk about we can reference Benoit, we can reference uh, Crash Holly, we can reference. Countless Chris Canyon, as as wrestlers that have been that that had a ton of talent, and because of their demons and their issues, were were taken away from us, the wrestling fans, without a chance to show us more of of the things that made them great. Matt Hardy's too busy worrying about you know getting buzz to not think about all the people he he affects. It's unfortunate because in Jeff Hardy's case, Jeff Hardy has a has a wife and a daughter. Which, you know, is a, is a niece for, for Matt Hardy. Is he not thinking about that? Is he not thinking about the, the girlfriend that he has and all this shit? I don't know, man. It's really fucking selfish. I hope he does get some help. Because, like I said in last week's episode, I don't want to open up a website or look on a blog and read, you know, Matt Hardy found dead or some shit. Because all we're going to get is more negative press for the wrestling industry, especially with all the shit that ha that's happened. And a ton of I told you so's. And I just don't want to hear it. Alright guys, I'm going to take another commercial break. When we get back, we are going to discuss some video games. Right after this. 
You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like <laughs> Well you won't listen to that on our show. Because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um we're looking for a show like that that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter. Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. All right. Here's, um... Wow, that was really weird. We have a couple of things on the video game side... But one thing I want to discuss before going into the gaming news is that summertime for gaming news fucking sucks. I've noticed this over the last couple of episodes I've done that some of the news that come out that are really not major news are are small and and tedious and it's just bullshit. I almost, uh, you know, Josh, one one of our writers said I should have been playing a death knell for the video game segment instead of our typical intro because of how how fucking dead the the video game news industry is. But, you know, I think there's a couple of stories out there that needed to be shared, but I'm really hoping that it picks up, especially during the fall. I mean, there's a lot of great titles coming out that will obviously generate a buzz, but right now the, the video game segment is just shit. Not, 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 my, not the segment per se, but just the amount of good news that are coming in. So let's get right into it. First off, Assassin's Creed Revelations will be getting an Ultimate Edition. You're going to get all the items that are in the Signature Edition, which comes with all the pre-orders, but the Ultimate Edition has a statue of Ezio as well as a replica of Leonardo da Vinci's flying machine. It, the, that edition, the Ultimate Edition, is going to run you $100. Um... I actually saw um, a picture of, of the Ultimate Edition. It looks cool, but I've realized that we're at a, at a stage where these $100 editions that people are forking their money over end up being dropped substantially weeks after the game comes out, sometimes even, even a month or two after the game is out. So if you really want to pick something like that up, don't spend the 100 bucks. If you want to play the game, by all means get a regular copy or something like that, but don't go dropping a hundred bucks. I think that all these collector editions that they put out and how hard they try to sell you on it. I, I, like I said, I've said it with the, with the halo three story and even with the halo reach edition, I've gone into stores where the halo reach edition is hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And now you can get it for 60 bucks, 70 bucks. If, if you want to pick it up, save yourself that hundred dollars. Um, Slick just gave me a heads up that he's on the line. Let me bring him in. Slick, what's up, brother? What's up, man? <clears throat> what do you got, dude? I wanted to talk, you know, about, again, about the Ultimate Editions and, you know, the Special Editions of games because next week Resistance 3 comes out and there's what's called the Doomsday Edition, which is 150 bucks. Fuck that. Well, yeah, fuck that, but it actually, for what you get in it, 
is more worth it than, you know, usually you just get like a statue or a freaking battering or some shit like that. Okay, well, before before I, I ask you what's coming in that edition, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, obviously, you know, for your birthday, I got you Killzone 3, right? Now, right. Killzone 3 with the Hellgast helmet, which was sickening, sickening when I when I saw it, was, I believe, $69. $10 more than the regular game. Why you didn't get it for your birthday? Because it was sold out. But it was $69. Now, how would you that paid the 150 feel seeing that? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And that's actually why I brought up the Resistance 3 Doomsday Edition because it's something where I, I don't see that happening, at least not for, for a much longer period of time. And again, it's because of what comes in it. There's no, there's no alien like statues or any shit like that. The Doomsday Edition gives you, of course, the game. It gives you the, um, you know, the move controller, the whole move set, the main controller, the whatever the hell the, the side piece is called. You get the the PlayStation Eye, and you get the sharpshooter. Which, if you buy that shit separately, it's $220. Okay. So, I mean, that one I don't see really going down in price anytime soon. And if you don't have any of those items and actually, you know, enjoy the you know, first-person shooters, and from what I hear, the sharpshooter, when you use it with the PlayStation Move, is really cool. That actually's worth 150 bucks. I'm not saying you know run out and buy that versus paying the 60 for just the game, but if you if you were thinking about getting like the, the PlayStation Move, yes, it's actually worth it. All right, I mean that that's fine if you want to pick up a, a PlayStation Move. I just am so tired of seeing, hey, pay 160 bucks for something and then. A month later, because they felt that so many people were going to go out and buy it, you end up picking it up for the same price. And that's the problem. I just feel that the level of incentive that's there, don't get me wrong, this resistance bundle sounds like you're getting a lot of value, but just selling people on that concept is so difficult. Like if it was 10 bucks more or 15 bucks more, then people would say, oh shit, you know, I'm getting this great deal. Let me just jump on it. But when you're talking about, $60, $70 more that you're paying for something only to get, you know, a a, a tiny statue that's maybe the size of your TV remote control. Some people, I guess, I talked to a guy at work that picked up that Madden and um, I asked him, I'm like, are you going to pick up the Ultimate Edition? And he goes, that shit's $100, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he says, dude, if there was cooler shit in there, then fuck it, I'd do it. But he goes, I'm not parting for uh, what a hundred dollars for fucking Madden. You know, it was it was that simple. The guy summed it up just like that. That's a smart man. There you go. And you know what? Even if I was a Madden fan, I wouldn't part with sixty dollars for that Madden. <laughs> yeah, well, we know, we know, we know the the general consensus on that. 
because it's the, like you said, it's just a fucking roster update. Which at this point, you could just do through live or through PSN. Well, it, while but I... Really, until, until the next console come out, how much better are the graphics going to get? Yeah, seriously, at this point, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think that being able to fit so much on Blu-ray discs, it gives the PS3 an edge. The only problem is that that online component that they have, you, we, we both know, is dog shit, and that's the big problem. Graphically, though, you got a 50-gig disc that you can cram all that shit in there. You know that that's a, that's a selling point, it's just that the community atmosphere on the PS3 side of things is just bullshit. Okay, but even if it's good on 360, which you know I am saying it is, again, a game like that should not be $60 every year. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not even re- re- referring to Madden. I'm just referring to the the differences in, in people picking it up on a particular console. Madden is just a glorified roster update where you know you could probably use the same game and release a new one every two years and just update the rosters. I think doing it that way would keep the servers relevant and people playing. And not only that, but every time the draft happens and all that shit, you can add value to the game by having a draft, playing it on Xbox Live, on ESPN, and then those players, as the draft happens, get downloaded to Madden. Imagine the level of interaction with something like that. Imagine being able to watch the draft on ESPN... The guy that just came in at number five, you can actually draft to what to the team in the game. You know how many people would buy it just to take part in something like that? It would be crazy. Yeah, I do. Electronic arts is not about imagination. It's about getting that paper. That's right. 100% right on that. But... While I have you, while I have you on, I figured it's always it's always good to have you on for the uh, for the entire gaming segment because you you actually give some some really good opinions on it. And I wanted to run this by you because I'm sure that you know within in your in your ventures to Best Buy, you've become acquainted with Razer that does the PC um, accessories. Of course. Check this out. They're putting out their own laptop called the Blade. It's going to it's it's billed as the world's first true gaming laptop. It's going to have 10 adaptive keys and an LCD touchscreen built into the keyboard on the right side. That screen is going to be displaying in-game info and can be used as a touchscreen. With regards to the specs, you're getting a 2.8 Intel Core i7 processor, 8 gigs of RAM, 320 gig hard drive, an Nvidia GeForce G55 uh, GT triple uh, five and two get with two gigs of video memory now that you've heard me say that how much do you think it's going to cost um i'm guessing minimum 1600 hell no this laptop is going to run you twenty eight hundred dollars <laughs> Get out of here. $2,800. Get something from Alienware or Falcon. Dude, $2,800 because you have a touchscreen on the keyboard. It's insane, dude. But, you know, people are going to gobble that up right away. I just think that $2,800 for a laptop just for gaming is, is like, you're, you're talking about Mac Pro money. 
where you can do music, full full video editing, surf the web, gaming, etc., etc. You can replace your desktop. This thing is being built. Yeah, don't get me wrong. You'll probably do the same thing, but it's being built as just a gaming laptop only for $2,800. It's insane. For that much money, I'll build a better gaming desktop. There you go. Shit, for $2,800, I could probably build uh, two de one desktop and a server and still have money left over to probably exactly. buy some monitors. Exactly. I figured I'd run that by you. Now, here's something crazy that I posted on the site. I talked about Counter-Strike Global Offensive and about the fact that it's going to use cross-platform gameplay, which got a lot of people really hyped. But there's a catch. The cross-platform gameplay will only will be limited to the PS3, the PC, and Mac gamers. Xbox 360 users, which is obviously where, where people would pick it up because, you know, it's first-person shooter-friendly are going to be left out due to the inability to put Steamworks on it. In addition to that, PS3 users will be able to use will be able to play the shooter with the Move Motion controller. After all these years of waiting for cross-platform gameplay, Xbox 360 gamers get left the fuck out. <laughs> it's sad. I mean, honestly, in terms of first-person shooters, like I said, from what I hear about the sharpshooter, that does give the PS3 an edge, but with the shitty PSN, I mean, that just knocks it right back out. I mean, if you had even half the, the um, Xbox Live experience on the PlayStation 3, it'd be worth it, but you don't. So you got the, the one console that has the good online experience and you, you don't have the game there. it's whatever there you go i mean i, th I think that cross-platform gameplay would really help uh boost sales of pc games and mac games because it would allow uh, a great a great level of competition against console gamers but you know, the the 360 being left out of this particular thing is unfortunate because, you know, a lot of people would have been picking up Counter-Strike on the 360 anyway. You know what doesn't help PC gaming? You notice how every time a game comes out on Xbox Live, or, sorry, on Xbox, PS3, and PC, the PC version is at least 10 bucks cheaper? This is true. Uh, it seems like that's going away with the dinosaur because... There's a lot of new games coming out this, this coming week. One of them is Dead Island, which, you know, is sort of a, it's a zombie apocalypse game, but it's sort of like an RPG mix with a first-person shooter. And it's on a PC, and it's the same price as the PS3 and the 360 versions. I said, fuck that. That's fucking Granted, nuts. I mean... You get the best experience graphically, and you know it's a, it has a first-person shooter component. The PC is going to be better than the console, but why are you charging more now? Yeah, that's a little fucked up. Well, yeah, here's game, some gamers are really going to be hurting in the pockets this week because you have you have Dead Island coming out, you have Resistance Three coming out, they got the Eco Shadow of the Colossus combo pack coming out. I think the Uncharted combo pack is coming out. And something else is coming out. I forgot. But 
it's like September is a is gonna be a, a month where you know motherfuckers gotta do some overtime to keep up with their habits. Well, speaking of that, here's here's something crazy. Dead Rising Two, off the record, which I believe comes out at the end of September or in October, is actually trying to do something to give people a little bit more time with the game, and that's what they're going to be adding a sandbox mode. No more having to worry about the clock. You'll actually be able to do a whole bunch of challenges, get rewarded with money, and experiment with ways to kill zombies. I'm surprised that they didn't that they didn't add this sandbox component earlier because I think that's one of the things with Dead with Dead Rising that people are just tired of, you know? Plowing through the game and then not having any reason to play it any further. Yeah, well that seventy two hours shit is something that turned a lot of people off. Shit, I, I that's one of the things I was like I was just like, Oh, it's not open world, meh, I'll get to it at some point. But uh, moving on, here's a good one. How long has it been since we've seen a new Wii game? You mean a new one worth paying for? That's correct. How long? Playing? <laughs> How long has it been? I can't remember. Well, the Wii is trying to give you a couple of games before it bows out. The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword is getting the bundle treatment. You'll be able to get the bundle for $69. It's going to get a limited edition gold Wii Remote Plus. And if you don't want the remote, you can pick up the standalone game for $50. Bucks. Do you even give a shit about Zelda at this point? When the hell is... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to the game, but... I don't know. My Wii is... I need to freaking take a swiffer duster to my Wii. That's funny. Make sure that shit still works. Well, I personally feel that, you know, they're going to try and get as much as they can out of the first party titles, but you you always hit that, you always hit that little, that little sticking point where people are on the fence about picking it up. I'm sure people will buy the bundle to get the Wiimote, but it's not something I think that's going to move a lot of units. But, in, in, in oh yeah, that's what was coming out. I forgot. Go ahead. The next 3DS. Let's let's double dip, dip some more. Star Fox comes out next week. All right, a lot of fucking dual barrel roll. <laughs> a lot of fucking. I played this game before. Oh yeah, of course. Well, that that goes without saying. But you know, people's pockets are gonna be light. I'm not picking that shit up. But um, moving on. Check this out. According to PC Gamer. Uh, Ray Mazika from stated that Commander Shepard's journey will be over with the third Mass Effect game. They said that Mass Effect 3 will be the final mission for Shepard. However, just because Shepard isn't there doesn't mean the universe won't continue. The, um, Ray Mazika went on to say, after this, Commander Shepard's story is complete. So for those of you that are Mass Effect fans and enjoy... Uh, using Commander Shepard, make sure to spend as much quality time with him or her as possible because this will be the character's last adventure. I haven't played Mass Effect. Everybody's on my ass to play it. <laughs> I'll get to it at some point. Same here. 
One particular game, which I know you're a fan of, is Burnout, and Criterion announced that Burnout Crash, the Xbox Live Arcade exclusive title, will be released September 20th for 800 Microsoft points. It's going to be connect-enabled, and it's going to center around the crash mode from the earlier Burnout titles. You going to be picking that up? Hell no. <laughs> really? Why is that? Because I don't want a fucking <laughs> burnout download. I want a full game. All right, fair enough. <laughs> the last burnout came out like three or four years ago. And you're putting out a fucking Xbox Live title? Yeah, really? of course. That's how we do it. The only other shit you do is fucking Need for Speed, which nobody gives a shit about. Dude, I played I it and got rid of it. Whatever. No, you're right. I honestly think that in that they should add, they should do burnout, do a new burnout and do it with uh, add road rash in there. You know, like, do like road rash style gameplay with motorcycles. That shit will be crazy. Imagine doing a crash junction on a motorcycle and you just crash it into an intersection. Your dude, you actually actually use the the crash navigation to land your guy on like another target. I think the game was trying to be a little bit more family friendly. That's why when you're on the motorcycle, whenever you crash, it just went, it just faded to black. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think I think that was one of the things I used to play Pain on the PS3, where you shoot the guy with the slingshot. And I figured you could do something similar with the guy on the bike, but I can understand why they don't do that. On an yeah, on, on another note, they got a. Some di- you better dust off that copy of Infamous 2 because they're releasing some DLC, Festival of Blood, which will feature Cole trying to stop from becoming stop himself from becoming a vampire. <laughs> Nothing. What? <laughs> it's coming out in October. I actually got the trailer. I'm, I'm I'll put it up after the show. But yeah, Festival of Blood DLC. After we wrap up the video game segment, if you want to see it. Go ahead and look for it. I'm sure you'll find it. You'll you'll probably come back and be like, the fuck is this? So you better dust off that copy of Infamous 2 because I know you love that game. So My body lives off electricity, so of course now I have a thirst for blood. Oh, yeah. That's what they're going to do. Ugh. And to close things out, it seems that... Fuck up a great title. Oh, yeah, well... Like I said, after after we wrap up the game segment, head over to YouTube or Game Trailers. You'll probably see the trailer for yourself, and I'm sure you're just going to be nodding your head in disgust. But some people are actually pumped about it. I mean, the it looked it looked interesting from what I saw, but I didn't get to finish seeing the trailer. And lastly, to wrap things up, Wired has reported that they got their hands on what is going to be included in the hardened edition of Modern Warfare 3. The addition is going to include a one-year membership to Call of Duty Elite, complete with a founder status designation. The status gets you an exclusive in-game emblem, player card, camouflage, and an XP boost for your clan. Other items being included are an exclusive theme for the PSN or Special Ops Juggernaut Avatar for the 360. You're also going to be getting a 100-page field journal, new disc art, and a steel case. So it's basically giving you nothing of any real work. <laughs> that seems to be it. Activision hasn't gone on record yet to confirm whether the leak is accurate. But in some other news, Call of Duty Black Ops has posted some real crazy numbers. Activision actually revealed today that the game has sold over 23 million units for the 360 and the PS3. 
In addition, they've sold 18 million map packs, which equates to $270 million in sales on a $15 map pack. That's $7 million more than Modern Warfare 2 and $9 million more than World at War. Obviously, you see that they're... Dude, you made $270 million off DLC. Disgusting. That's all I gotta say. $270 million off of DLC alone. Well, Nintendo's officially started there. Sorry for fucking you in the ass with paying $250 for the, the 3DS program today. Well, yesterday, because now it's September 2nd. Did you download the titles that they were offering? No, because I didn't realize till later in the night that it was available today. Oh, shit. Probably going to do it this weekend. Oh, okay, cool. Well, dude, that's going to wrap things up. You have anything else you want to add? Nah, I'm good for now. All right, brother. Cool. Thanks for helping me out with this. No problem. I'll talk to you later. All right, man. See ya. All right. On the movie side of things, which I don't know why the jingle isn't playing. Let's try this again, shall we? Play the damn jingle. Let's talk movies. I just realized it's about 1.30 here in New York City and the show ends at 2. So we're going to do a bit of a sprint to the finish. I apologize for that, but I'm sure um, whatever you guys don't catch will be available in the archived portion if we actually end the live show before I get to finish the movie segment. First off, according to Deadline, DC Comics is planning on bringing the Deadman character to the small screen. Supernatural's Eric Kripke will serve as the executive producer of the series. The comic series was created, the original Dead Man series was created in 1967 by Arnold Drake and Carmine Infantino. Dead Man's first appearance was in Strange Adventures number 205, and it follows the story of a murdered trapeze artist who was able to return from the dead and possess any living body in order to bring justice. Thus far, they haven't announced a timetable to bring it to the small screen. The Dead Man comic actually works very well for something involving the team from Supernatural only because they've already got experience in bringing these characters, you know, bringing Supernatural characters to life with their series. I think that they would definitely be able to do Dead Man justice. Hopefully we'll see how it pans out. I'm sure this will probably end up on the CW, but you never know. As I said at the top of this week's show, tons of remakes to discuss. First off, Columbia Pictures is moving on a remake of the 1990 film Flatliners, which is ridiculous. Uh, Ben Ripley, who did the source code, is scripting the remake of the 1990 film, which originally was directed by Joel Schumacher and starred Kiefer Sutherland, Julia Roberts, Kevin Bacon, William Baldwin, and Oliver Platt. In the original story, it followed a group of medical students who induced temporary flatlines to briefly experience clinical death as, as part of unauthorized experiments. Of course, over time, the experiments worked, but then they realized that they couldn't, that they didn't come back from death alone. So, obviously, we're gonna bring back a film that isn't that old in Flatliners. I'm sure it'll be PG-13, and people will give less of a fuck 
than they did about the series earlier because the original Flatliners movie wasn't that great either. Now, this isn't the 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 the, the only remake I'll be talking about. They're going to remake The Invisible Man. Of course, the original Invisible Man, which came out in 1933 with Claude Rains, is considered a horror classic. This update, though, is set to be more action-oriented, is going to be a more action-oriented take on the story similar to Sherlock Holmes. Um, It's being written by David Goyer, and it looks to be a period piece, but focusing on a reinvention of a character, just like the way Stephen Sommers did The Mummy years ago. I mean, I don't have an issue with the Invisible Man being brought back. I just think that they tried this before with the Hollow Man, and it was okay. Then they did the Invisible Man film with Chevy Chase, which was, you know, it was humorous. But I just feel that unless you're doing something really crazy with his character, there's really not much depth to a character like the Invisible Man. It's not like the Mummy or Frankenstein's monster. I'd honestly like to see a remake of the Loch Ness Monster if you want to go that route, just because you could do something more effects-driven and take a little bit more of a liberty with the story. But I guess we're going to go with the Invisible Man instead. I'm sure Slick is going to love this. though. Uh, of course, many of you know the Juan series, which was the basis for the American version called The Grudge. Seems that Ghost House Pictures and Mandate are developing a new version of the film. So, you created The Grudge, you did the American version of The Grudge, and now you're going to bring The Grudge back. How long has it been? Maybe five or six years? Once again, Hollywood's creativity, hard at work. In some box office totals, the number one film this week again was The Help. Uh, Colombiana was number two. Don't Be Afraid of the Dark was three. Rise of the Planet of the Apes was four, with $148.5 million. Our Idiot Brother was number five. Spy Kids was six. The Smurfs was seven. Conan was eight. Fright Night was nine. And Crazy Stupid Love was ten. Let's get some more remake news out there. According to Deadline, Lionsgate has hired Maria Magenti to write the remake of Dirty Dancing. Kenny Ortega, who's famous for doing High School Musical and Michael Jackson's This Is It, is set to direct the film. So not only are we getting a Footloose remake, we are now getting a Dirty Dancing remake as well. But let's not stop the remake train right away, because Deadline has reported earlier this week that Josh Brolin has been cast in Spike Lee's remake of Old Boy. Brolin is going to be playing the character of Joe, made famous um, and originally played by Su in Park Chan-wook's original, who is, of course, captured and imprisoned in a hotel room on the day his daughter is born. Over two decades, he is in the hotel room, and when he is released, he is told he has only four days to find out why he was imprisoned. If he cannot, then his daughter will be killed. The American version is going to be also known as Old Boy, but it's going to focus on being booked as a two-word title instead of a one-word title. Why that was added to this press release, who knows? Spike Lee is looking at an early 2012 start date for the production. The original Old Boy is such a great film. If you haven't watched it, please do yourselves the favor and check it out. One particular scene where the main character, uh, Daesu, fights his way through a room of attackers with a hammer is just a beautiful, beautiful scene. Well done, some great action. And just the the violence was so visceral and so legit 
that you actually felt that you were there and you actually winced in pain when somebody got hit in the head with a hammer or got hit in the hand with a hammer only because it looked so well done, it was played so well that overall the film was enjoyable but that particular scene was just very powerful. There's also a scene with a claw hammer and some teeth that I'm not going to share with you guys but I recommend you go and check it out for yourselves before the remake comes out and sullies the name of an otherwise solid film. Here are the what the fuck movie news for this episode. Hold on to your hats, folks. Let's talk about this casting choice. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, and Taylor Lautner in a film together. Now, you probably ask yourself, what kind of a movie what could these two guys possibly be doing together? Maybe an action film. Maybe a buddy comedy. Maybe a coming-of-age story. How about a drama? Nope. Dwayne Johnson and Taylor Lautner are actually doing a movie based on David and Goliath. With Dwayne Johnson playing Goliath and Taylor Lautner playing David. I'm not even fucking kidding you. Dwayne Johnson is Goliath. Taylor Lautner as David. How long of a film do you think you can get from the David and Goliath story? Big guy attacks village, farmer attacks big guy, hits him with rock, big guy falls, little guy becomes hero, roll credits. Seriously, what are you going to get? Maybe an hour? Are you going to are you going to go into the deep origins of Goliath's character? Are you going to go into the the struggles of David the farmer? Seriously, this is what you're working with? Llama face and the rock? Ugh, the fuck out of here. Lastly, to close out the movie news for this week, John Moore, who wrote the masterpiece known as Max Payne, well, who directed, excuse me, the masterpiece known as Max Payne, is officially the director of the fifth installment of Die Hard. The draft for the script was written by Skip Woods, who did the A-Team in X-Men Origins Wolverine, and is described as sending John McClane and his son this time to Russia. There's no word yet on who will portray his son, if you remember in the last Die Hard film, it focused on Bruce Willis and his daughter, played by Mary Elizabeth Weinstead. The brother was mentioned briefly, but wasn't seen in that film. The last time that the brother was actually mentioned was in the original Die Hard film. Production is scheduled to begin soon, on location in Russia. I don't really know what else you can do with the Die Hard series, as long as you don't do Die Hard in space. I honestly thought that the last Die Hard was enjoyable, and... And funny, and it was definitely a great treat if you had a solid home theater and a good Blu-ray player to be a, a great showpiece for your home theater. Do we need another Die Hard? Not really. Do we give a shit about it? Absolutely not. But folks, that actually is going to wrap up this week's show. Again, got to thank got to thank Cameron Conaway for coming through. Um, our buddies at Unveil, um, our content partners at MMA Valor for stopping in. And that's going to wrap it up. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 105 for Thursday, September 1st, 2011. If you'd like to be a guest or would like to advertise on My Take Radio, feel free to email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you're on Twitter, you can follow My Take Radio on Twitter, twitter.com slash mytakeradio. You can also follow my personal account. It's twitter.com rich underscore MTR. 
If you're in the wastelands of MySpace, you can follow My Take Radio there. And if you're on the all-powerful Facebook, facebook.com slash mytakeradio, hit that like button, show your support, help us get to 1,500 fans. If you're on Twitter, show your support there, help us reach 1,000 fans, 1,000 followers on Twitter. Lastly, if you'd like to listen to My Take Radio besides using... Uh, Besides using Blog Talk Radio or iTunes, you can get our app either on the Android Marketplace, iTunes, or the Amazon Marketplace. It'll run you $1.99. It's cheaper than a cup of coffee. You'll get access to exclusive MTR content and a ton of other stuff that we are going to be adding in the coming weeks. Again, for $1.99, it won't kill you. If you'd like to stream episodes of MTR via the Stitcher app, Head over to Stitcher.com and download the app there. You can also find Stitcher in iTunes and also in the Android Marketplace. It'll allow you to listen to MTR on your iPhone, iPad, Android device, Android tablet, WebOS device, and BlackBerry. No need to put MP3s on your memory cards and download episodes. You'll be able to stream them directly with the Stitcher service. You can get that at Stitcher.com. If you want to download the episodes, like always, head over to iTunes. You can get it there. You can also get it through Blog Talk Radio and the Zune Marketplace as well. That's going to wrap it up, folks. I'll catch you guys next week. I don't know if I'll have a guest next week, but the week after, I'll be joined by Dr. David Rice, who is a uh, sports psychologist. We're going to be talking about personas in professional wrestling. That's not going to be next week. It's going to be the week after. So I'll make sure to announce it again during next week's broadcast. I'll see you guys around. That's going to wrap it up. Peace. Taking us out this week is going to be Born of Ashes, the music for Kratos done by Brian Strader, and you can get that at ocremix.org from the OC Remix Heroes and Villains official soundtrack.